the blast from our past network. What's up, After Darkers? It's your old pal Corey here with a couple quick announcements before we get on with the show. I want to let you all know that our first Patreon-exclusive interview is online. Our first show is with Stephen Jeffries, a.k.a. Evil Ed from Fright Night, the movie we're just about to talk about. It's really cool that Zach was able to lock this uh, interview down as Stephen Jeffries does not do a lot of interviews. So I hope you guys check it out. We have uh, another monthly show up on Patreon, and you also get access to ad-free versions of the regular episodes there as well. So check us out. All proceeds go towards the show, server costs and gear and all that kind of stuff. And real quick, I wanted to give a shout-out to my buddies at the Friday Five podcast. They are the newest podcast to join the BFOP network, also known as the Blast From Our Past network, with Cartwright, Podcasting After Dark, and Blast From Our Past podcast. So our little retro podcast network that could is growing, and it's all thanks to your all's love and support. So we really, really appreciate it. Now, without further ado, on to Fright Night. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Fright Night, stars Chris Sarandi, Roddy McDowell, and Stephen Jeffries. Welcome to another frightful episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And this week we have a big one for you guys. This is a personal favorite of Zach's. I know for a fact we're doing Fright Night. What, buddy, do you think about this movie? Fright Night, who's it gonna be tonight? Well, (laughs) if that gives you any indication about how I feel about this movie, uh, it is in my top ten of all time. And I have such a love from beginning to end for this film. I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's my hardware, uh, but (laughs) (laughs) there are a few things that are hardware, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's my point is that, you know, nothing really compares to hardware. Um, But in the in the annals of a vampire lore and history, this, in my opinion, is the greatest vampire film of all the times. Holy shit, that is a bold statement. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's a statement that I can agree uh, with you on, um, but uh, we will get there. I'm sure by the end of this movie, we will get there. Oh, I'm going to make you agree with me whether you want to or not. <laughs> well, I thought that way with hardware. We we saw that turned out. So, <laughs> Well, the, the tide shall turn. <laughs> I hope so, buddy. I hope so. Um, and uh, last week or two weeks ago, last episode was another one of Zach's picks. So you guys might be wondering why we're doing two Zach picks in a row. Good question to ask, Corey. I think so. And as you heard at the beginning of this episode, it's because Zach lined up an interview with Evil Ed himself, Stephen Jeffries, and that should be online right now. And uh, basically, we were like, you know what? We should probably do Fright Night now. We were going to do Fright Night later, and maybe maybe with a bit more pomp and circumstance around it because it's such a big one for Zach. But 
timing wise, we just were like, no, we, we got to do it now. So that's, yeah. it's out now. And, and the Stephen Jeffries interview is up on Patreon right now, as you heard on the stinger. So we won't get too much into that. Um, and you can pretty much hear it all on Patreon. Um, you know that, so we'll probably wind up doing two of my movies next in a row. It's mainly because the person whose movie it is has to track the film. And that's a lot more work than just sitting back and watching it. So we kind of like to, to divvy up that, that workload right there. There's a lot of work that we actually put into each episode um, researching. And, it, and while it not, may not always sound that way <laughs> because we, the things come up on the fly and we're like, Oh, we should look into that. Uh, when Corey's watching a movie or I'm watching the movie that we've chosen, we sit down and take extensive notes scene by scene. Um, sometimes it's highly detailed. Sometimes our hand or thoughts get tired and, uh, you know, we, we don't put as much into that scene, but overall we spend a lot of time doing this because one, we love it Two, We hope you appreciate it. And three, at the end of the day, it's fun. It is. It's a, it's a labor of love. And like Zach said, it's, it's a lot of work to do to be the person who tracks the film. Um, I do say that it, it kind of lends itself to, to be more scrutinized that way by the person doing it. So I, I do enjoy doing it, but I got to say, I do enjoy being the person that sits back and watches it and takes <laughs> notes <laughs> a little bit better. Cause it's a little bit more relaxing. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just a little peek behind the curtain uh, on how things work here at, at Podcasting After Dark. But as per usual, before we jump in to the movie, we discuss kind of like what it means to us and where we first ex- uh, discovered it. I'll tell you guys quickly about my past with it because it's not as extensive. I've probably only seen this movie <laughs> like two or three times. <laughs> that, that's, <gasps> that's my experience with it. I've seen... The remake with Colin Farrell, I actually don't hate the remake, um, mainly because I like Emojin Pots and I like Colin Farrell. And it wasn't great, but I didn't hate it. Uh, but I think I didn't see Fright Night until I was a bit later in my, uh, not adult age, I'm probably in my 30s, I saw, early 30s. Funny that I don't consider 30s the adult age. Um, anyways, <laughs> but... uh and then real quick uh, about my past, I'm not, I was never a big vampire kid growing up. I was much more of a Ramiro zombie and werewolf kid. So I kind of only really watched Lost Boys when I was a kid. I, I didn't watch a lot of vampire films. Oh, and I, I guess probably Bram Stoker's Dracula is probably my favorite uh, vampire film. So that's where I'm coming from with this movie on Fright Night. Zach, buddy, what's your experience with Fright Night? Well, it's... A highly detailed experience. Um, I've seen this movie probably 40, 50 times. Um, I, I rented it. My brother, Eric Schaefer, <laughs> rented <laughs> this movie uh, soon after it came out on VHS. Uh, it came out in 1985, and I think it probably came out on VHS a year later. Uh, yeah, he and I would watch this extensively. I think our VCR, the, the rewind function... Uh, broke on our VCR because of the fact that there's so many lines in this movie that we had to go back. What did they, what did he say? What did he say? Oh man. Back before like IMDB or something where you were trying to get quotes and you actually had to, to listen intently to, to the movie versus just going online and typing in fright night quotes, you know? Yeah. Before, before the age of subtitles and um, my wife and I now have subtitles on for everything, not because we're hard of hearing, but because 
the I think we discussed this on the Life Force episode. The volume levels can be so different and popping and loud. So we have it at one level, put the subtitles on. It's a lot more easier to follow. But yeah, there was a time when you actually had to pay attention and listen to the movie. Wow, what a novel concept. And you analyze like every frame and stuff. And that was a part of the fun. That was why, you know, I think that's why when I was a kid and I had so much more free time, but I watched the same movies over and over again more when I was a kid. And I think that's because we just did not have as many, you know, I mean, we didn't have like high def screen grabs, screen captures. I mean, at one point, the only like, at one point, like with like Star Wars, Boba Fett, like I, I, there was only like five pictures out there, like behind the yeah. scenes pictures. Like you didn't have like you do now where like every part of the costume is actually photographed and everything. You didn't have that back then. So you had to get the information like where you could. Um, and a lot of times that meant the poor, the poor VHS tape had to suffer. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, the companies that made the, the, VCRs, the VHS tapes, we're very happy about all this because you had to rebuy, you know, you had to buy everything. So there you go. <laughs> and I, I remember it was a big deal when I got a forehead VCR because with those, you could pause it and it, it would be picture perfect. Where we take that for granted now with, with DVDs and Blu rays and everything digital, that when we pause it, it's a picture perfect shot. But back in the day, like, you had to have a special VCR for that. And let me tell you, that took my masturbatory habits to the next level. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, I was I was going to say, uh, y- you know, m- me too? <laughs> Question mark? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the remake, and I, I will say, too, I, I actually was expecting to hate this film hate the remake but i thought it was pretty good yeah i i only saw it once but i thought it was it was decent enough to to make me say oh that was fine unlike you know the total recall remake or the robocop remake which you know you finish those movies and you're like oh that was garbage at least with fright night i was like oh that was good that was fine never need to see it again but it was fine exactly Exactly. All right. Well, let's jump into the movie now since we have a lot to talk about. So, Zach, why don't you take it take it away? Like, I was trying to think of a, why don't you fly away with it like a vampire bat? Why, you are so scary. I'm really feeling that right now. Um, are you, as an actor, are you feeling it? Yeah. No. Uh, no. <laughs> see, see how I twisted? Are your notes are not feeling it? <laughs> not feeling it. Ask asterisk go to the bottom uh what does not feeling it mean Mm, exactly what i just said uh (laughs) so okay so fright night came out in 1985 uh it's a columbia pictures release and just a a quick few kind of like comments about the the movie uh and the cast and and all the people involved it's directed by tom holland not to be confused with spider-man tom holland (laughs) That's why I was like, hey, is that same Tom Holland? No, I'm just kidding. Tom Holland, prior to this, uh, had written another podcasting After Dark flick, Class of 1984, if you will. He oh, This is man. his first, this is his directorial debut. Uh, he wrote it, directed it, 
he went on to do Child's Play after this. Did he write and direct that or just uh, direct Child's Play? I just directed that one. Okay, cool. I didn't realize he had written Class of 1984. That's freaking awesome. With, with as you know, Michael Fox before he yes. was Michael J. Fox. <laughs> yeah. Well, so he has a writing credit on it. I, I, I must clarify in case someone just, you know, goes, oh, that's not exactly accurate. Um, he, he was responsible for writing it, the screenplay as well. So which I think is still really badass. And then, yeah, he wrote this, wrote and directed it. We'll get into that later about uh, why that's such a big deal. Uh, the the cast, which is a phenomenal cast, in my opinion, uh, starting with the lead vampire, Chris Sarandon, who plays Jerry Dandridge. Chris Sarandon will probably be known to horror fans as also being in Child's Play. And yes. to mainstream fans, he's from princess bride oh that's right that's where i recognize him from and now question is he susan sarandon's husband brother cousin is is he related at all to susan sarandon people often say oh is that chris sarandon susan sarandon's brother no they were actually married they're no longer married but he's the the name holder for the name sarandon if you will. Oh, okay. So this was before, uh, I guess she was with, uh, what, Shawshank Redemption? What's his name? Oh, Tim Robbins. Yeah. 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 yeah this is way, way before that. I think they were in college or something. This might've been her Rocky Horror Picture Show days. Um, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. <laughs> which, uh, we're, 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 we're not doing that movie. I'm not. No. No. <laughs> I, I hate that movie. I've, I've so only ever I, seen it once and I hated it. Yeah, so do I actually. Um, and then, Next is uh, playing the role of Charlie Brewster is William Ragsdale, who mainstream fans will know him from Herman's Head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mainstream fan. He was Herman, right? <laughs> yeah, he was Herman. Oh, my God. I, I, I have, like, occasional thoughts of, like, Herman's Head here and there, and I think that show was only on for, like, a half a season, but... It was so had made such an impact on my young mind that I find myself just thinking about it. I'm like, but no one talks about it. No one ever mentions like Herman's head. That's never a thing that people that people care about. Now I know him from Justified uh, as an older. Oh, actor. really? He okay. Yeah, he's in Justified, and he kind of plays like a a schmarmy, shrimpy kind of guy, you know, someone that, that Timothy Oliphant easily sort of, you know, pushed around. Um, he wasn't a bad guy. He was like a, a, played a normal character that kind of made some bad decisions. And then, you know, he, like he had to bail him out. Timothy Oliphant's character, like had to bail him out type of thing. It was like his ex-wife's husband, one of those, you know, scenarios. Um, but he was good in it. He was good in it, but he's kind of shrimpy and kind of goofy. I was going to I was going to say that uh, I don't I didn't know that fun fact, uh, but I was going to say that when Herman's head came out, it's right when Fox kind of started hitting their stride of like releasing their own shows and not just a syndicated block after, you know, The Simpsons on Sunday night. And Herman's head was one of those shows. Yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, anything to go gaga over, but it was a fun concept. And I remember seeing him in that. And this was the age when I started. The same thing happened for uh, Chris Sarandon. I saw them as the character from the movie and was disappointed when they weren't being the character from the movie I love them in. And <laughs> and that, that, so for, for me, I just went through this phase. I'm like, oh, but that's not Charlie Brewster. Wait, no, but Zach, Charlie Brewster is a character. That's a movie. 
That's not who they are in real life. Wake the fuck up. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. I did, I, and, it, and I'm not joking. To, this, is, this is the God's honest truth that I think this was a time when my mind started shifting. And this is a aw moment of losing touch with the imagination and getting more into the reality. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. What? Yeah, you're probably right around that age group. And yeah, your your mind's starting to go away from the fantasy of like, oh, this is all real that you see on TV to now you're aware that, okay, these are actors and they're doing different things and they're playing different roles. And it's, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, I think it was the fact that like my dad took me to see movies at such an early age that I kind of like early on, I knew things were fake. Like I said, with RoboCop, like having the violence sort of, kind of be there in RoboCop kind of helped me uh, understand what was fake about a movie. Like I, you know, my dad explained to me that like, oh, you know, when people got shot, the blood was under their shirt and it was kind of like popping out. I understood that. Now, when I saw a guy melt on RoboCop, uh, that blew my mind <laughs> because I couldn't figure out how they did that. But uh, yeah, I, I think that seen like action movies with all kinds of explosions and people getting shot. My dad had to explain it to me what was going on. So I think at an early age, I kind of had a decent grasp of things. Yeah. I, but I I think, I think that if a, if a movie like RoboCop for you and Fright Night for me, you hold really dear to your heart. You really latch onto those characters because you identify in some way with them. You connect with them. Uh, Maybe not the melting guy in the RoboCop, but (laughs) But, uh, you know, Charlie, I, I love Charlie. I, Charlie's such a great character. We'll, we'll, we'll get all that. We'll get to all that in a little bit. But rounding out the cast, Amanda Bierce plays Amy. and Who I know as Marcy Darcy from Married with Children. Yes, yes. And uh, prior to this film, she was in a movie called Fraternity Vacation. That's important for a, another actor that we'll get to in a moment. Roddy McDowell plays Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. And Roddy McDowell, to podcasting after dark fans, is very well known for his awesome role in Class of 1984. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that Tom Holland met him on Class of 84 and then got him... Over. I, I know that he originally wanted um, Vincent Price to play the role, uh, yes. but I, I imagine that, that the Class of 1984 connection got him in touch with Roddy McDowell. Yes, Bringo! I was just going to make that comment, and you read my mind. <laughs> well, you, you'd been talking for too long, and I needed to jump in. Because <laughs> I'm an egomaniac. Sorry, I just love this movie. Yeah, uh, uh, okay, so uh, the next cast member is Stephen Jeffries, who plays Evil Ed. Stephen Jeffries, known to podcasting After Dog fans for our exclusive Patreon-only interview. If you're not on Patreon, you should subscribe because he is a fascinating person and a really good guy. Um, Stephen Jeffries, up until this point, had made two films. Heaven Help Us, which is a great uh, kind of coming-of-age story with uh, Andrew McCarthy and Kevin Dillon. It's actually got a great cast. Uh, and then Fraternity Vacation with Amanda Bierce. And Fraternity Vacation also had Tim Robbins in it. So there's your little six degrees of separation fun fact wow. with Chris Sarandon, Amanda Bierce, and Stephen Jeffries. We are, we are going to uh, – we have to at some point do Fraternity Vacation for our podcasting after dark because it totally fits in within the realm. Those of you who haven't heard the uh, interview with Stephen Jeffries – 
there's a quick segment about fraternity vacation that you'll definitely want to hear. And it's it, it speaks to why we, we're going to have it on our show <laughs> eventually. <laughs> nice. Rounding out the kind of top cast is Jonathan Stark, who plays Billy Cole. And Billy Cole uh, is is Jerry Dandridge's kind of... Um, Oh gosh! In the in the Dracula lore, he's like the the, the henchman for for Dracula, and Jonathan yeah. Stark is known for. Well, I know I know him from a, a, another horror film, House Part Two, which I think is actually a really cool sequel. All right, first off, he was my favorite person in the entire movie. I really liked Billy Cole, uh, the character and the actor, <laughs> so I'm excited for that because I love House, the first one, but I don't know if I've ever seen Part Two. Um, oh, I know shit. we're going to do House for sure at some point on on the podcast, but I would love to see Part Two. Yeah, Part Two, I think is rated pg or pg-13 it's way tamer than the first one more comedic overall if you and house one is comedic so if you think yeah. that it's even more comedic it's like slapstickish. but yeah he plays the uh, another buddy in that he's great in it but yeah i agree billy he's, cole he's great one, in this yeah yes. what, what is his name again stark jonathan stark jonathan stark jonathan stark billy billy cole uh, in the billy movie cole, billy cole which, which is a great yeah. name, oh my god way. every time he was on screen i just i loved him man i love that dude so much so i literally want to see house two just for him yeah it's got ari gross and a young bill maher if you will holy crap wow oh and okay. to well round <laughs> sorry i just have to say to round out the cast of house two it's got the cliff clavin from from cheers which is a connection to the first one <laughs> and Cliff Clavin was also in Empire Strikes Back as well. No shit, really? Yeah, he was he was on uh the Battle for Hoth. He was a rebel soldier. You see he's got a mustache. He looks like he looks like Cliff Clavin just in a rebel Hoth, you know, soldier outfit. Wow, this is blowing my mind, dude. That's so cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> Jonathan Ratzenberger, I think is his name. Um, yeah, yeah, any, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Save that for the house discussion. <laughs> My God, we go on so many freaking tangents. But I think people, I, well, get feedback, folks. If you like that, let us know. If you don't, um, then you know this isn't for you. <laughs> okay, so rounding out, rounding out. That's the cast of, of Fright Night. The I I will I just have to say one more thing uh, before we jump into the movie. The music for Fright Night is done by Brad Fidel. Uh, he the score is phenomenal and we'll get to all the songs as we move along but let's jump into fright night who's it gonna be tonight opening with that beautiful columbia pictures logo which is such a beautiful thing and then it goes into this dark night with a full moon with the howl of the wolf (laughs) pans down across all these houses um while you hear some dialogue between two characters, Jonathan and Nina, and it's really cheesy. And at first you think, wait, is this, are these real people in the movie or characters watching a show? And it flashes on what well, you hear Nina say something like, uh, the, the moon is full and it helps me so I can see your neck or something to that effect. And, it, and then you see the credits of Fright Night, the dinner just that awesome red font with the fangs. Yeah, I like how the the fangs kind of grew out of the font. I thought that was a fun little touch. Yeah, yeah. And, and the camera's panning across all these houses and kind of zeroes in on Charlie Brewster's home. And, well, you zero into this this uh, upstairs bedroom where uh, this, this kid is making out with his girlfriend. It's Charlie and Amy. And while this movie's playing in the background, this horror film, and 
the horror film is getting super cheesy and something and um the 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 girl's about to turn into a vampire on the on the show they're watching and then out comes peter vincent the great vampire killer and you know this because the nina the vampire goes "Ah, who are you who interrupts my nightly feeling feeding (laughs) or something like that which is the first moment where my brother and I would have to constantly rewind the scene to hear what she actually said. Because <laughs> I'm like, what did she say? And he says, I'm the great Peter Vincent, the, the great vampire killer. And he pulls out a stake to hammer it through her heart. And I don't know if you, did you pick up on the, the little gaff there? Yes, I did. The The stake, the stake was backwards when he held it in the air. And <laughs> I was like, oh, that's funny. I, I get it. I get it. Right out of the gate, we're supposed to know that this is, a comedy or it's like tongue in cheek. It's not a hundred percent supposed to be taken seriously right out of the gate. This whole setup here tells you, I think everything you need to know about that. And I loved it. I loved that. I love the fact that he had the stake backwards. Yeah. So cheesy. And meanwhile, that's going on on screen and, and Amy is, um, it cuts to it. it, it, They're, they're watching the creature feature show, um, kind of like the Medusa character in terror vision. And it cuts to Peter talking, the actual Peter Vincent, Roddy McDowell. And meanwhile, Amy and Charlie are making out and Amy looks up and she's like, Charlie, Peter Vincent's on. And she's, you can tell like she's uncomfortable, like she wants to stop making out. And he's like, but, you know, but I love you or something like that. And, and he's, you know, they're, they're two teenagers getting it on and, and she wants to kind of take a break because he's making more moves on her. And she finally says, she says, Charlie, stop it. <laughs> But, it, it, but it's it, they haven't gone past like first base in a year apparently. She, yeah, he's like we've been going we've been going out for a year, and I'm like, damn, like okay, his, his, that's his correct. That's rough. <laughs> his correct. His actual line is, uh, "We've been going together for a year, and all I ever hear is Charlie, stop it." <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe it's because you're easily distracted, Charlie, and you kind of suck. So my running notes for this entire uh, movie is that Charlie, A, is the worst boyfriend ever, B, he kind of sucks, and C, I think he's the actual villain of this film. I think that Jerry Dandridge is the hero. What? (laughs) Well, that's where I'm coming from on this movie. Oh, shit. You're going to pull a, you're going to pull a Johnny uh, Daniel, uh, line you know karate kid deal where you're gonna turn the tables oh yeah 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 good point yeah i haven't watched the new karate kid uh uh, tv show or the cobra kai tv show but i like that i like the idea of taking a a villain and showing it from their point of view and and making them the the actual hero because at the end of the day jerry dandridge is the hero of his story he of his story he's the hero and you know what i'm not i'm not going to disagree with you on that one at all whatsoever (laughs) so um so yeah he gets up, he's pissed off, and, and he looks out his window, and he sees these two dudes show up at the the house next door, and they're bringing in a coffin. It just so happens to be Jerry Dandridge and Billy Cole, but we haven't found that out yet. And cut over to Amy, and she's got her top off, and she's... Real quick, though, before we get back, go into what they're doing, I noticed, uh, this is the first time I noticed it, but... It was cool because Billy Cole was using two hands to carry the casket, yes. whereas Jerry Dandridge was using one hand to carry it, and and then he's kind of like in his other hands, just kind of in his pocket. And I was like, that's really cool because one, 
you can't just like come up with that on the fly. Like they had to build, like they had to actually rig a casket to do that. So that means thought was put into how Jerry Dandridge was going to be portrayed right out of the gate. And one thing that I do love about this movie is they do all these little like off camera things, all these little practical effects to always show that something is weird and different about Jerry Dandridge. Like it could be like, he's like peeling the apple with his fingernails but yeah. he's doing it like off screen like under the camera like you don't really you know the camera's like on his face and he's doing it down and he pulls the 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 apple up and it's you know it's skinned it's peeled so they don't ever have to like technically show it to you but he's always doing something that is supernatural and i really enjoy the fact that they always stick with that they always do something fun with jerry dandridge yeah, this this film Tom Holland has created such a universe with his with the script. Uh it it's so vast, it's so detailed, it's so colorful and it and it pays such a one it it pays an honest tribute to the classic uh Dracula films of the 50s and 60s. Uh and two, it 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 really uh, respects the audience by throwing in these little things thinking they're going to pick up on that. They're going to pick up on that. Yeah. The one handed coffin is so, it's so amazing because I th- I don't think I initially picked up on that, but probably the third or fourth time I watched it, I'm like, that is so such a cool little moment, such a subtle moment. Uh, but important, obviously important. I love subtle moments in movies where you don't notice it right away. And it's like, yeah. you don't see it until the third or the fourth viewing. I love shit like that. Yeah, there and this this movie is chock full of those, as you clearly pointed out with the apple, and we'll get to other cool things as well. And um, even in Charlie's room, like you pan across his room and you see all like the little details of of what a teenager would look like in 1985, um, which is I think it's pretty accurate for the most part. I did not have that kind well, of Chinese uh, mahjong game or whatever it is. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you mentioned his room, and I did take a note. I go, what high school kid has a neon light of Coors beer? I will tell you, the same one who, well, my brother uh, had something similar to that, and I wore a Beer Wolf shirt in seventh grade, and I, you remember Camel cigarettes were super popular back in the 80s? Just oh, yeah. The marketing to kids was such such a ridiculous, it's so horrible that they did this but it was so smart on their part at the same time too because they're like kids love this shit and yeah i saw that coors neon sign i'm like that's really cool i would totally want that <laughs> yeah that makes sense as a, i guess as a, as a high schooler you probably find beer to be cool so yeah you're right i yeah. i i I wrote it down and I was like, that's weird. But then when it, when I said the words and it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh yeah, we, when you were in high school, you're always trying to figure out your identity and you always like latched onto stupid shit. Like I really liked uh, the big Johnson t-shirts. Remember yeah, those? Dude. You get them at the exactly. beach. Yeah, dude, exactly. Yeah, I totally remember that shit. And I remember not you, I mean, you look back on it now and you're like, what the hell were we thinking? But back then, uh, there's a, there's a guy on, um, Facebook, Instagram, his name's, um, uh, uh, T-N-U-C, T-N-U-C, and he posts all that kind of, all those old beer ads from the 80s when Beer Wolf was really popular. He was like this big wolf man who could like bench press and he with like two kegs or whatever. It's so ridiculous. Of course, of course. Why wouldn't you bench press with two kegs? Come on, two kegs. Uh, anyways, uh, Charlie, yeah, Charlie's like 
trying to tell Amy what's going on. And she <laughs> she says, you know, Charlie, I'm ready. Like she's got her shirt off and she's ready to lose her virginity to Charlie uh, and vice versa, I'm assuming. And Charlie's like, well, Amy, you're not going to believe this. And she's looking at the TV and what he's describing is kind of what's happening on the TV on the Fright Night episode. And she's like, yeah, right. And they're on the moors. And he's like, no, Amy, you got to believe this. And she's like, I... I'm, you know, he's like, Amy, I'm serious. And she goes, I'm serious too. Do you want to make love or not? <laughs> and so he, he, he won't take his eyes off of what's going on. He's, she's just given herself to him and he's like, wait, hold on. Understandably. So it's, it's a bizarre scene for, especially for a horror fan. He would be like, what this is this is like real life well okay but how much of a horror fan is he really when he has to go to evil ed later for how do i fight vampires and good here's where i and and so right out of the gate right out of the gate i'm already things are starting to fall apart for me (laughs) um i i'm not a big fan of of marcy darcy i'm just what i was not a big fan of her on married with children i don't like her at all in this movie any part of her whatsoever um i and i don't think it's her fault in in this case i think it's the director trying to tell her she has to be a certain way so that she can contrast later you know when she turns into a vampire so it can kind of like there there needed to be a contrast in her personality and i i get that but she felt very unrealistic to me and at the same time he felt like 50% unrealistic to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm trying to figure out the tone of this movie. I'm right from the get get go. I'm like, I like Jerry Dandridge. I like all the bad guys in this film, but right from the get go, I'm getting rubbed the wrong way by Marcy Darcy and rubbed the wrong way a little bit by Charlie only because I'm like, okay, your girlfriend's throwing herself at you. You should be like paying attention here. So I'm kind of hating them both for different reasons. And I'm like, ah, and then you find out that, that you know she storms off and she goes downstairs and i'm like okay so you were gonna just fuck and while your mom was like right downstairs like that's that's crazy yeah well um i'm not gonna lie uh be be having a girlfriend and 17 18 years old i and you know your parents are in the other room uh you do what you gotta do you gotta take you gotta gotta take care of business (laughs) gotta just take care of business like (laughs) grandpa says in television and they're upstairs they're upstairs like you know they've got a whole floor to uh to you know i i think when you're when you're when you're 17 and horny or 18 and horny hopefully they you know you you gotta do what you gotta do and i will i'm not dis i'm not gonna disagree with on uh, with anything you just said um i think charlie is not a proficient horror fan i think he's like the guy who says oh i know marvel uh, I know everything about Marvel movies because I've seen every Marvel movie. No, or I know everything about Marvel comics because I've seen every Marvel movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he, he's he's on a surface level. He's no Frog Brothers. Like that's no. So like, I'm, he's Corey Haim. He's Corey Haim. He yeah, exactly. But he's not as charming as Corey Haim. So oh, uh, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's look. <laughs> well, I okay. So I and I will. I will not disagree with you about Amy. I think she's she's like this button up. Uh, and this speaks to the way she dresses, and we'll get to that in a moment as well. Um, but yeah, she storms out of the house. Uh, and they're arguing about making love and all this stuff. And his mom. Uh, his mom's like, are you two having a lover spat? His mom's downstairs watching TV and 
And he's like, Mom, there's people next door because he doesn't even care at this point. He doesn't even care no. about Amy. It's so it is messed up. But um, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, there is. And and with my luck, he's probably gay or something like that, uh, which is a funny throwaway line for 1985. Maybe now, not so much. <laughs> people might have a problem with it. But whatever, this is contextually 1985. Meanwhile, while she's talking about this, the news is on, cuts to zeroes in on the camera. The camera zooms in on the on the TV and the news anchor is talking about a second person or a person being killed. And it's such an eerie kind of soundbite, you know, because the p- police are still searching for clues or whatever, which is really cool, I think. Yeah, I, I like that. I like little things in the background like that telling you that something ominous is happening. Yes, yes. This cuts to the next day. Now you're at school. Charlie's walking out of class with his buddy, Ed. And Ed is already kind of... He's such a colorful character. And I was thinking about this seeing him because he's wearing such a odd but yet badass shirt. Like these weird kind of <laughs> suspenders on it. And I thought, man, his fashion sense in this movie is the best out of all the characters, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, and Charlie as he's walking out of the class, realizes he got a bad grade on the, on the test and chart and evil or Ed's like, you know, that's the point of a pop quiz Brewster to surprise you. Everything that Stephen Jeffries does in this movie is batshit crazy. And I love it. I, yeah. I think this is one of those times where, or like one of those movies where I love everyone outside of the main characters. And that's, <laughs> That's kind of what makes it difficult to for, uh, for me to like talk about the movie because I'm like, there's so many pieces that I really enjoy and we'll get to all of them. But yeah. Evil Ed is definitely one of the pieces that I really, really dig. But at the same time, I have, again, more f- – I think the, the problems I have with this movie are, are the world building. So like here – he's like don't call me evil or something later and it's like i I can't get a sense of what their friendship is because later on charlie will barge into ed's house without knocking but yet ed's like don't call me evil and clearly seems like they're not as close as i think the movie wants me to think that they are i don't know that's what i that's what i'm having a hard time grasping is the relationships of people because there's a lot of stuff that's also wonky like marcy darcy's the way she acts in this this movie does <laughs> not seem darcy. i have to call her i'm i'm sorry guys i have to call her marcy darcy it's all i like on the fly <laughs> that's all i can think of um but the, her acting in this movie is 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 off-putting to me um I, I think that's the director like telling her to do that in a certain way so that way you know the contrast can be uh like later like we said but the world building is what I don't get here, and and I don't understand Ed and Charlie's relationship. It, it almost seems one sided to me during the course of this film. But then oh, yeah. Ed will do a bunch of crap for for Charlie that that he put his life on the line for Charlie. For, so that's like that's not something that like a, an acquaintance would do. So I just I don't know, man. It's got some weird stuff going on. I think that, and I'm not. I don't think you're this person, and I'm not this person. But there are a lot of people in this world who like like to give each other shit all the time and that's their sign that they love you because they 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 give you so much shit uh i know my brother had relationships like that with his friends um there's a dude that i thought was a total asshole as a kid to my brother but yet they were buddies you know and and because they and i'm like really but 
but you duct taped his butt cheeks or <laughs> something like that. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. That wasn't me. That's not you. That's why we're bros. And, but uh, yeah. And you know what's funny? I think that in the relationship, in the friendship, I think Charlie's probably the asshole to Ed. I think Charlie oh, yeah. probably yeah, picks on Ed. I think Charlie's I, I, more of yeah. a jock. I totally agree with you. Um, and and I think that. Like, I feel like there are characters like this in the world. Yeah, everything you're saying, like, I get it. They're they're definitely not likable on that level. I don't think I picked up on that as a kid watching it anal- analytically this time. Totally picked up on that. And, yeah, they definitely have a fractured relationship. But, uh, yeah, Amy cu- Amy cuts through them and she storms off and, and, uh, and, Ch- and Ed gives him shit. And he's like, oh, did, did she find out how much you really like or something like that <laughs> and and uh cut to the next scene where charlie is getting out of his sweet mustang with a shit ton of primer spots all over it <laughs> and and it is a cool car it's a really cool oh, car it's a beautiful mustang uh it's a shame what allegedly happens to it later but um he gets out of the car and i think i mentioned this on the tough turf episode in fact i know i did uh, he's charlie singing bebop baloo bob or something like that some sort of 50s bebop shit and i'm going why does this fascination but speaks to go back to our tough turf uh cory summarized it very eloquently when you talked about how yeah there was this love of the 50s and 60s back then um and then after he's walked leaves his car he sees this beautiful sultry woman get out of a taxi with these long legs legs for days (laughs) And she says, walks up to him. She's beautiful. She's got like this, you know, she looks like she's going to a nightclub. She's got this kind of open top-ish outfit. And she says, oh, is this 99 Oak? And he says, no, that's next door. And she goes, oh, thanks. And she kind of gives him this smile wink and walks off. And he's looking at her. He's like, oh, oh, my God. And that's the most like high school-y thing that I think he does. His reaction to that uh, lady of the night, (laughs) that (laughs) streetwalker, high-quality streetwalker, I might add. Very Um, high-quality. And uh, the way that he kind of like giggles and like looks at her and runs inside the house, you know, like I thought that was very like high school. I was like, yeah, yeah, that tracks. And she yeah. <laughs> was. She was very hot. She was very hot. And I'm glad that we did do the Tough Turf episode when you mentioned the bebop a loop um, because, yeah, I heard it this time. I was like, oh, yeah, there it is, just like Zach said. And because I think on Tough Turf you mentioned that it's in Fright Night, so we have this, like, circle thing going on. And uh, I was like, yeah, that is that is interesting. I, I guess the only thing I can surmise is that there was just a fascination with retro back in the 80s, so it was probably 60s retro, whereas we're in 2020, and you know 80s and 90s retro is is what's hot you know so it seems like that's always the trend yeah no doubt about it because um even down to the way amy dresses uh later actually very soon you'll you're like wait did she just jump out of a 50s uh or 60s movie and the diner right, and, and the, later when they go to the diner. Yep, I, I took some notes on that so we'll get to that in a second yeah but uh charlie goes into his house and and his mom is uh this is when the mom thinks that the the neighbor's gay. She's like, with my my luck, he's probably gay. And uh, and and my note is Charlie's mom is DTF. <laughs> she is. She totally is. Uh, and I okay. So it's been established. They don't say it, but it's been established that she's a single mom. And that's I think that's a pretty cool uh, thing you don't necessarily see every day, especially in the early '80s type movies. 
And from there, we cut she to She has Charlie. a huge house for a single mom, dude. That's a massive house for a single mom. I wonder how much alimony the dad's paying. Well, see, this is where, like, you love to world build, and that's one of the many things I love about you. I world build the shit out of this movie uh, in the sense that I thought, okay, the dad probably died. And he left everything to the mom and the son. And that's why he's got this sweet Mustang and he's and they're living in this really nice house, which is clearly a film set, by the way. But it's a really cool little. Yeah, I, I, I got to cut you off there. My pro- <laughs> oh, no. One of the problems, another problem I had with this movie was that it's so clearly the universal backlot that we've all kind of, you know, done the tour on and everything. Um, and and they even put in like matte paintings where, where yeah, it looks like more of the town. Yeah, I, I love the matte paintings, too. I love a good matte painting. Trust me. But one, I was like, I don't know where this is supposed to take place. I, I can't figure that out, uh, which is OK. That that I don't mind. But whenever they go inside the house and show like like maybe especially the foyer and whatnot, it looks like such a fake set house to me. It looks like it, the whole thing looks fake to me. I'm like, oh, God, I know it's not supposed to be fake, but I can just I feel it just feels like Universal Studios. And I and <laughs> I mean, other people can can set dress where it doesn't look like the same house could look not at all like that. But the the production designer here just I didn't love what they did with the house. And again, that created a disconnect for me at the beginning of the movie, because right when they go downstairs, like Charlie's room is great. But when they go downstairs to like the the living room and because it gets trashed later, so they don't they didn't want to like probably set dress it too much because it's just going to get trashed anyways. um, When when uh, Peter Vincent fights uh, evil Ed in dog form, but it just felt always felt fake to me. And I'm like, hmm having a hard time connecting, you know, and especially with Marcy Darcy's, the way she's portraying the character, Amy, um, even Charlie's, you know, he's like, to me, he feels like a little bit of a, of a 29 year old trying to act like a 17 year old, you know, there's all these little disconnects. It's, it's, it's like when you're doing like VR and and you're doing like something where you're flying but you know you're sitting and that's why your stomach gets sick because your brain is being told one thing but your stomach is it, your body knows something else is different like my brain is being told that this is a house but my my eyeballs are seeing it as a set and I'm like I can't stop you do you see what I'm saying and yeah, I know I, to- I and totally I think by agree. this and by this point, I mean, as a friend, you know that I'm, I mean, I'm a movie guy. I'm really good at, at disconnecting and just really getting into the movie itself. I'm, I'm really good about that. Even with movies that I don't love, I can, I can just kind of disconnect and just get in or, or I can connect and get in. For some reason, they're right out of the gate. There are these multiple disconnects coming at me for Fright Night that I just couldn't. I couldn't reconcile because they were right at the beginning, and that was uh, uh, the the way the actors were kind of doing their thing, which I get the point of it. But at the same time, and I also get why they needed to film on a back lot because a lot of stuff happens on the street, and you can't just shut down a neighborhood. So I understand why they had to make these choices, but for me, they created a disconnect when I first came in. And I'm sorry that this probably seems like I should have saved that for the end of the episode, but I don't, I don't <laughs> want to miss these points while we're talking about it, you know? And, no, no, no. And, and I know, and I, and I know, like all this sounds like me shitting on it, and I still enjoyed the movie. But let me ask you this: Where is it supposed to take place? Where does this well, movie supposed to take place? 
I, I, I've, and I've always said this from the, from the first time I saw it to now, it's anywhere USA. So the idea that okay. it's like this generic town, it could be any town, you know, because it's the, the quote unquote boy next door. And, and I think, I think that's intentional on the director's part to make it very cookie cutter, uh, and give more of the color to the villain. Um, and I think the villain is per- you are totally accurate in saying that you think the villain is the hero in his world because he is. I think Dracula in general is the hero of his universe. Um, but yeah, this the the films like I I like that. I thought it was very obvious that it, yeah, it's obvious that it's there's a painted backdrop and it's on a film lot. Uh, I think I liked that as a kid. I still do. It didn't bug me as much because. I felt like the the dialogue and the actual what was what was happening in the scene with the actors was more important. It took me it, it they kept me engaged, but I could totally see where you're coming from too. But that being said, uh <laughs> Charlie's in his awesome sweet room as you said studying and then he hears this I love this scene. He just hears a scream and he looks out at the window to across the hall, across the grass or whatever to the next door and the light goes out. And that's the end of the scene, which I think is so fucking subtle. It's like so subtle. And, and when I was a kid, terrifying. Now I just think it's cool. I agree with you. That was a very cool scene. I, I very much enjoyed that. Yeah. And then you go to the next day. It's the next morning or next afternoon, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's the afternoon at like the local diner. I couldn't tell if it's a local diner or their cafeteria, but it looks like a local diner. Um, and, and Charlie's studying and Amy pops down next to him in this booth looking like she's straight out of a bebop fifties movie. And she, uh, she wants to tell him that, uh, it's all her fault about what happened the other night. Total. What do you call that? Um, uh, victim, victim remorse, I guess, or what, <laughs> you know, yeah. she's like, it's all my fault, Charlie. He's like, it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, she's such a cool girlfriend. And again, again, for the third time in my notes, I said, Charlie is the worst boyfriend. Ever. <laughs> but is it not inaccurate? Cause we know a lot of dudes like this that have a hot girl and they're a dick, but yet, you know, like, it happens. Be honest, it happens. Um, exactly. And, She's talking to him and he starts ignoring her because he sees the news report on the TV, walks over to and Ed's right there. And (laughs) Ed is there. They're talking about the second victim in two days or whatever. And and Ed's like, but get this. Both of them had their heads chopped off. (laughs) He's like excited about that because he's a real horror fan. And yes. And meanwhile, and that this is it. This is uh, one of the most famous scenes in the movie when Amy, who's now so pissed off at Charlie, she walks up to him and taps him on his shoulder and says his name. And he turns around and she smashes a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A sloppy Joe in his face. And Ed utters the line He's while he's laughing. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. I can't stand it. Meanwhile, he's got sloppy Joe flopping off his face. And he kind of looks like what Urban Dictionary would describe as a Cleveland steamer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, that is I'm wild. Our, uh, you're welcome. Um, okay, so cuts to the next scene. Charlie's back at the film lot, uh, <laughs> checking out yeah. the next door neighbor's house, and he's snooping around. He's like, I'm, you know, he's gonna be the 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 Scooby Doo guy, and he's 
goes over to the cellar door to look what inside and meanwhile Billy Cole is painting he's painting the windows of the garage of the basement black um, which will come into play later very much so and he puts the paint down goes looks pissed uh, you're introduced to, to Billy Cole now and and you know he pops open on Charlie's like hey kid what you doing what you doing there, kid? <laughs> you want to expand on that? Because I know you love BC so much. Dude, right out of the gate, I was like, I love Billy Cole. And, and dude, if I were a vampire, I would want him to be, like, my henchman for eternity. Because his smile is so infectious. He, his laugh, he, I, I think I might be in love with Billy Cole. I thought he was great. <laughs> I love the way he delivered his lines. I was like, yes. hey, kid, he's always having, like, a good time with it. Because, you know what, he knows he's immortal. He knows that he uh, is sort of indestructible. And on that note, I also have no idea what Billy Cole's power is. Because... Uh, with later on, he can be in the daylight. You all, he also dies from being staked. So I, I here's another problem that I, then I have. So I'm like, it's always this like a flip coin for me. It's like, oh, I love Billy Cole, and then I'm like, but I start thinking about his character, and I'm like, but what's his deal really? Like, why can he go out and you know outside and stuff like that? Well, and he's, I wish he's, he's Renfield. He's he's the Renfield character from Bram Stoker's Dracula. But I don't recall Renfield getting dispatched in the same way Billy Cole did um, at the end. Like, Renfield was, I believe, always human no matter yeah. what, whereas Billy Cole is not human, yet he can still go out in the sunlight. So I would almost say that he's better than the main vampire because Billy Cole can, he's a daywalker. He can walk around during the daytime. I feel like, yeah. And I, and again, I'm, I'm, there's no disagreement on my end that, uh, there are some moments where you're like, wait, but that doesn't make any sense. Or why does he do this? And, um, yeah, it's clear that there's this difference there. There's not a really, he's not as well defined as maybe he could be in the power category, but the, but he's this really cool, colorful character. Yeah. Um, who scares the shit out of Charlie scared me off too, because he's just got this look. What he lacks in like, like, like you said, like what he lacks in power definition. Yeah. uh, He more than makes up in personality. And that's, that's the actor Uh, is just, he's such a cool character. He's such a Billy Cole, such a fun character. So fun. This cuts to later, later that evening, I'm assuming. And Charlie's now staking out um, uh, Jerry's house and he's watching uh, creature his the Fright Night creature features, and it just so happens he's watching one of my favorite zombie movies of all time, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, which is a great PG uh, Bob Clark of Christmas Story and Black Christmas fame directed film, and I think it was his first movie he made. It came out in 1980, I think. Anyways, it's got a great uh, zombie in it. And just give it a watch because it's worth checking out. And so he he eventually passes out and cue the Brad Fidel classic (laughs) that guitar, that kind of cool guitar lick. And Charlie looks over and sees a beautiful girl in across the way in the window and she's taking her top off. She's got this dude behind her. You don't know necessarily. Oh, man. She yes, had, go ahead. Man, she had go great ahead. 80s boobs too. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> mama." She, had, she was hot. I liked her. I was like, "Oh, I want to see more of her." Oh, and we get to see more of her. Hello. <laughs> yeah, they're they're making uh he's he's like kissing her neck and she's looking she's getting all into it and hot 
and um, and then Jerry sees that Charlie is watching them, uh, and he makes this face like, "Oh, sorry, you're not going to get to see this now." Well, what was really cool was that that before he pulls down the blind, yeah, uh, I know the, the the cinematographer had done this on purpose, but right when he pops his fangs and he's about to bite her neck, you can't see it because of like the window sill, like you know the the divider oh, in yeah. the window, and yeah. I, I believe that was on purpose because there was no like right there definitive shot of his of his teeth for Charlie to see. But then when yes. he does pull down the the shades, you see those long fingernails and that's how Charlie knows. But I liked how the cinematographer covered up uh, Dandridge's uh, teeth by the windowsill. And it seemed natural, but it's, I'm guarantee you as an actor, that was very, very thoughtfully blocked out, you know, like the whole yes. shot was blocked out and everything. And, um, and what, what's great about it is it seems natural, but he opens his mouth at the, right at the perfect time where, you know, it, it gets blocked by the, by the windowsill. And that's, what's really cool. I like that a lot. That's when Charlie, you know, freaks out, Jerry pulls the blinds down and as he's pulling the blinds down, they do a close up shot of his long ass fingernails, which are not cool. And even if you're not a vampire and you have long fingernails like that, uh, you might want to get those looked at because they look pretty dirty. Um, but he's <laughs> it's got, always he, a vampire thing to have like the long fingernails that are all like perfectly, I don't know, like manicured or something. Yes. Uh, why is that a vampire thing? Is it just because you're more animalistic? It's like this little telltale like thing that they're part animal sort of. Yeah, I was just going to say um, this might be t- TMI, but, you know, there was this thing when you were making out with a girl and she'd like scratch your back, you know, Oh, she's scratching my back. It's so cool. Like really? Okay. Um, anyways, he's pulling the blind down. Wait, 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 let's, let's go even further. I think that's actually (laughs) smart because when you're, when, when he's about to bite you, he can like distract you by giving you a nice little back tickle. Oh, Oh, that that feels so good. Thank you for the back. And then you get, you know, chomped on. (laughs) Right. Totally. Totally. Um, I I love the tracks. I I love, yeah, totally does. I love when he's pulling the blind down and you see his family crest ring on his finger. And I have the Blu-ray version of this. Um, if you're a fan of this movie, I highly recommend picking up the Blu-ray because you will see so many things that you might not see on a regular transfer. Cool, cool, cool. I'll never be owning that Blu-ray. Oh, how dare you? Um, okay, so... so <laughs> Maybe Charlie, I'll yours. Right? So Charlie flips out. Uh, he runs outside to, 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 like, see what's going on. And that's when Billy Cole is carrying the he's carrying a garbage bag but you got to believe that it's the dead corpse in inside the in the bag and he's throwing it in the jeep and uh and charlie's watching this from the bushes and jerry says you oh you forgot this and he throws the purse to um to Billy. Well, you, you miss the fact that um that J- Jerry lands because he flies overhead and yes. I like that the the shot of of the the point of view Jerry Dandridge's point of view that was a really cool ass shot um everything about Jerry Dandridge is always cool as shit so and cool. that was a cool shot they they don't ever really show the 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 vampire bat version until the very end so you never quite see what it looks like but there's a few times where you do a couple POV shots and they all work all the POV stuff in this movie works very very well yeah he yeah he uh he transforms it's clearly him you know it's him and he transforms into human form and he's wearing this amazing 
outfit, like this gray leather jacket, and just looks like such a stud. Because Jerry's cool. The Jerry Dandridge. <laughs> yeah, is Jerry's. Cool. I'm not gonna lie. No, I I'm I'm not gonna lie. He's cool as <laughs> shit. Him and him and Billy Cole are two of the coolest motherfuckers in the entire movie. I totally agree. Uh, Jerry Dandridge is my, f- and I don't think I defined this from the beginning. He is my favorite character. He is my favorite vampire of all time because he exudes this um, sexy masculinity that just such. in the soundtrack helps that that guitar playing in the background. Just yeah, all around awesome dude. And, um, yeah, uh, Billy, I think throws him the purse and he catches it with his hand. There's a great shot of Jerry catching the purse in his hand. And, uh, and then the mom comes out looking for Charlie. She's yelling his name out and they're looking around like, what the fuck's going on? And Jerry's eating an, an apple at the time. And he sees Charlie. It's a great shot because you see the mom yelling for Charlie. And at the corner of the screen, you see Charlie's head poking out in the bushes. <laughs> like, Gee, yeah. what's going on? Gee? And, and Jerry looks right at Charlie and he throws his apple at Charlie. And when it rolls to Charlie, you realize that he's not just taking a bite out of the apple. He's eaten the entire apple, like cored it in one bite. Yeah, no, that's another one of the cool little things that they are always doing with Jerry Dandridge, which something to show his power. Um, yes. Now, let's let's talk about the fruit thing now, because it's going to be a running gag during the entire movie. Yes. Uh, Jerry Dandridge, he's always eating fruit. What is the story behind that? That was all Chris Sarandon's choice. Chris Sarandon actually didn't want to play this role, but then... Uh, Tom Holland talked him into it and, you know, allowed him to make the character more romantic, which apparently that was that was Chris Sarandon's input into the character. And one of the reason the reason why he added the fruit is because he thought it would be like a just a fun kind of addition to his character that maybe he's like part fruit bat in some way. <laughs> and that's what I kind of took away. And I was like, is does, is he kind of like part fruit bat? Is, is And the fact that I know that that's where he did go with it makes yeah. me like his character even more to know oh, that me, maybe, yeah, just maybe like his great great grandmother was a fruit bat vampire, you know, and she <laughs> only ate fruit. So now he's kind of like he's, he eats fruit and he eats people but I, I like that that's a that's a cool little thing and god for this movie for every one cool thing there's like another thing that i just hate about it but oh. there is there there's nothing i hate about jerry dandridge and no. I, I his character's awesome he's cool as hell like you said that trench coat is really cool later on he uses it almost like as his wings yeah. I, I like how they're like okay how do we how do we make a vampire modern? How do we show off his cape? Oh, let's give him a trench coat. Like that's such a, a really cool like a, a way to go with that character. It's it's such a cool direction to take it. Now, did did Lost Boys come out before or after this? No, Lost Boys actually. And you know, for years I thought Lost Boys and Fright Night came out the same year, but Fright Night came out two years prior to Lost Boys. So. And that was Warner Brothers, and this was Columbia Pictures, which is now Sony. Um, this is when Columbia. This is when Sony used to make good movies. Just kidding, <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this came out two years prior, and like you were saying, okay. So then, I, then yeah. Lost Boys might have stole some stuff from this. Then yes. Oh, I 
I think they totally did. I think Lost Boys would not have been made the same way it was if it wasn't for Fright Night. I feel like Fright Night, um, yeah, Jerry is the villain, but he is the he is the coolest thing about this movie. I the the person that you like the most. He exudes so much personality in a couple scenes, and you're about to see in a moment. But yeah, this movie came and and, and I, I, this movie came out in '85, and I totally agree with you that the Tom Holland created this universe using the jacket as wings and and everything is purposeful in this film I think for the most part for the most part uh but yeah he runs inside after he gets the shit scared out of him and um and I remember the mom's like what the what the what and there's a great exchange where she's like what are you doing you know what are you doing slams the door and she's trying to make him hot cocoa and he's like mom I don't need hot cocoa I didn't have a nightmare <laughs> I, why would you give him cocoa if he had a nightmare? He's it's just going to keep him up. I never understood the whole hot cocoa thing to suit <laughs> or warm, somebody. Yeah, or warm milk. It's really not good for your teeth. I think. Um, yeah. But uh, and but she put. I think she puts that that. Uh, do you remember the 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 marshmallow stuff that it was like came in a can and you'd scoop it out yeah. and put it. And it was basically like a melted marshmallow, right? She's putting that in it, I think. And I'm like, oh, that looks so good right now. I could totally go for that. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I want some of this marshmallows, Mom. Yeah. And so she's, he's like, Mom, uh, Jerry, Dan, the, the, our neighbor is a vampire. And she goes, a what? And then it cuts right to Amy going, a what? And he's like, a vampire. And she doesn't believe him because she's like, Charlie, is this sort of, is this a trick to get me back? He's like, uh, for, forget you. I, I'm leaving. And she's like, wait, Charlie. And she leaves and he just storms out. Right. And yeah, Amy doesn't believe him. And then he goes to the cops, just that, which is yeah. logical, which is, a, which is a very logical thing. He goes to the police and the cops roll up, meet Charlie at his house. And who ends up being the, um, cop the sergeant but arch <laughs> evans from tough turf and die hard too oh yeah sorry that's right <laughs> <laughs> i know him from die hard too <laughs> and he's a great great actor great character in this movie because it everything looks cool so far billy cole answers the door uh introduces himself brings charlie and the sergeant into the house and it's it's a beautiful house you see like every there's there's all these old artifacts and they're just they're still moving in um and and billy's like well and these are know. all his these are all his artifacts these are all uh dandridge's like like it's stuff that he's collected over the years essentially yeah these are things that he's collected over the years and all these ancient artifacts and it, and correct me if i'm wrong but isn't this the scene where charlie sees the picture of amy or is that later on Oh yeah, I think I think it's now, and and yes. it's just real quick. And they yes. add a little vo line to it in case you you didn't know that it was Amy. He goes, Amy, like question yeah. mark, and then yeah, they kind of drop yeah. it. So yeah, they needed to keep put that in. They had to pepper that in early on. I love that because it's such a great moment where you're like, oh shit, like this is this is there's something get, bigger here. Yeah, it's gonna get big in just a, in a little while, and and um. The sergeant's talking to Billy Cole about, you know, uh, what's happening. And Billy Cole's like, well, the kid's obviously crazy, officer. <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously, he's obviously crazy. And then that's when uh, Charlie's like, well, let's go in the basement. 
and and the sergeant's like why and billy's like yeah why charlie and then that's when charlie utters the line that's where you'll find jerry dandridge sleeping the sleep of the undead and this and billy's laughing and he throws up his cross symbol and the cop's like what are you talking about <laughs> you know <laughs> And for me, man, any anytime we get more Billy Cole, baby, anytime we get more Billy Cole, I am happy. Yeah, so I am, I am glued to the screen. Whenever Jerry Dandridge and Billy Cole are on, I am glued. <laughs> There's a lot to glue then. Uh, and then, uh, and the sergeant storms out with with Charlie and says, "You know, if you do this again, I'm going to lock your ass up forever, or something like that, forever." And um, the cop leaves. Charlie turns around, sees Billy Cole walk out onto the balcony of the the upstairs and just crosses his arms and he's looking at Charlie, this big smile on his face. And then you see, I love it, it's subtle at first, but the lights go on in the neighborhood signaling that the sun is going to be setting soon. Charlie checks his watch, it's 4.23 p.m. He knows he's got to do something fast before he's fucking dead. I love that. There's so much urgency in that moment and the music is hitting the right notes and it's just so creepy and he's got to get out of here. Gets in his car, drives off, drives to Evil's house and uh, Evil's like building a model or something with this really cool... Evil's in his... Sorry, Ed, because he doesn't like to be called Evil. Ed is in his room when Charlie storms in and Ed's building a model and there's this cool like kind of... um, Oh, like a uh, hologram picture of a vampire. And, uh, and, and Ed's like, you know, what do I owe this dubious pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is the scene that like made me kind of call into question what their relationship was. Because yeah. like I said earlier, you know, he, he, he's like, they don't seem to be that close. I don't know. But then, you know, Charlie runs into Ed's house without knocking or letting him know that he's coming over and barges into his room. So I'm like, okay, there's clearly, like, a level of familiarity there. But then Ed's like, you know, don't call me evil. And I'm like, okay, okay. So that's why I started tracking. I think Charlie's the bully in this friendship. Also, too, because he asks Ed, like, how do I defend against, you know, a vampire? That's the whole point of the scene is how does Charlie defend against a vampire attack that's coming tonight? And I'm like, uh, you would know this. You watch vampire movies all the time. You would know this. Now, as a writer, I get that he's trying to bring Ed into the story. They're trying to make to give a reason for Ed to be there. Okay, I get yeah. that. But uh, I don't know. Like the dialogue was so Charlie, like Brewster, being like, "What do I do?" Whereas maybe it would have been more of a back and forth, and they could have been bouncing ideas off of each other, just to show that Charlie had some kind of horror knowledge, horror movie knowledge, because they literally build like the entire five minutes of the opening of the movie, telling us that Charlie understands horror movies, and then you go to this scene, and you're like, he doesn't, and he has to add, has to add, he has to ask Ed for for advice and i'm like well then what are you doing with your time charlie like what have you been doing with your time you're failing trigonometry you know your car isn't painted all the way you're not fucking your girlfriend and you're not paying attention to the horror movies what the fuck is charlie brewster even fucking doing i will tell you what he's doing uh so here's here's my two thoughts on that one ed and charlie i'm assuming have known each other have known each other since they were kid babies like two or three years old maybe they've been their families have been close and so there's always been this kind of brotherly relationship between the two of them and unfortunately as brothers do they give each other shit 
there's always one that's more dominant over the other. And Charlie is the dominant bullyish brother, but they've known each other for so long. So they have this rich history. That's what I'm going with. And two, the reason why he doesn't know jack shit about horror films and hasn't taken care of his car and he's failing trig is because he's got, for lack of a better term, pussy on the brain. And all he wants to do is get laid. And that's all he's thinking about is 24 seven. He goes out, makes out with his girl. Then she's got a boogie. And then he probably in the can and does his thing and goes to bed. He's got, when you're like that sex crazed as teenagers can be, I think that that's all his focus is. <laughs> Dude, that's my theory. I, and and I, that kind of tracks, but then at the same time, when she's ready to have sex with him, he can't take his eyes off of Jerry Dandridge. And I'm sorry, bro. When I was 17, someone could be pointing a gun at my face. And if <laughs> if a girl said to me, let's have sex, I'd be like, oh, oh yes, let's do that. Like, like nothing would distract me from that you know well, so yeah, again yeah. I, I i don't get it man this is this is this is the holes these are the holes that i have a problem with in this movie and i i definitely feel like i'm on in your shoes with hardware and it, yeah no it, totally. it gives me I, a better yeah it, I it's totally like I, I i hear what you're saying you're like i get it i hear what you're saying but here's how it tracks for me and yes. i totes get it man i now i got to say i i get hardware for you <laughs> well i i so i will say that I think the shift is when he he's maturing. He's getting the idea of like, wait, this is my next door neighbor now. This shit is getting real. This isn't not is this this isn't fright night. This is like the real deal. And so, you know, he asks Ed, "Look, I got 8 bucks. It's yours if you can help me." And Ed's like, "Oh, far be it from me to turn down a fool's money." <laughs> and Ed gives him a cross, but he tells him he has to have faith in it for it to work. Uh, get some garlic, fill your house with it or something, fill your room with it, holy water, but you got to have a priest say a prayer over it, so that's not going to happen. And then he says, but the most important rule, Charles, is you cannot, a vampire cannot enter your home without being invited first. And Charlie's like, all right, cool. Cut to Charlie coming home. Oh, sorry, he's nailing, he's upstairs in his room, Cut, uh, and he's nailing his window shut, which I guess there's like, the nails are there one scene. They're not there the next, whatever. Um, and then the mo- and you hear the mom say, Charlie, we come downstairs. There's someone I'd like you to meet. Okay, mom. And he's whistling a song and like whistling Dixie up his ass. And, <laughs> and uh, you see this hand with the ring. Uh, it's like tapping on the, the, their lounge chair. Cue the music. <laughs> whatever it is, you know. And turn up char- and the chair turns around and it's jerry dandridge uttering the line hello charlie it's it's so <laughs> money he's so cool and he's got a bloody mary in his hand which i think is so yeah. fucking radical it's such again another subtle thing but if you it's just great it's like it's your you're crossing your t's and you're dotting your eyes but you didn't create a backstory for the other characters because who gives a shit about them right so uh <laughs> and he's like mom what did you what did uh she uh she's like oh, i invited him over and he's like what <laughs> it's clearly pissed off which is great his reaction and she's like well, charlie and he goes no charlie's right you know it's uh i would not i would not come over unless i was invited first and he goes but in fact 
I think I'll come over whenever I want now. <laughs> With your kind <laughs> mother's permission, of course. <laughs> he, he's so charming. It's it's yes. great. He's yes. so charming here. I, I love Jerry Dandridge. Love yes. him. And I'm going to, and, and I'll tell you when I actually like came up with my formula of, of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy here, but it, it'll be coming soon. Um, okay, yeah. But he's great. He's he's fantastic, and I I love his I love his interactions with everyone. You know when he's being charming, I think he's fantastic. He's so great, and um, you know Ch- Ch- Charlie freaks out, says, "Oh, I got to go back to my 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 trig," and Jerry looks at him and says, "See ya soon." I love that. It's such mm-hmm. a great line and with his face. Uh, cut to the next scene. Mom's asleep with an eye mask on her face, and. Charlie is, you know, uh, hears some sounds and he goes to, oh, because Jerry's flying overhead or something like that. And then you hear the loud bang, which wakes up Charlie. He goes downstairs to check it out. It turns out it's only uh, branches hitting the window and goes up. And while that's going on, that's when uh, Jerry enters through mom's window, I'm assuming, because her window's open. And he's standing over her with this like menacing look on her on his face. And he closes the door, but he doesn't just close the door. He pulls it so shut that it like busts through the binding or whatever. It, it gets the stuck. frame, the frame. Yeah, yeah the, thank you. He pulls the handle like basically almost through the f- the frame. But I like when he's in the mom's bedroom. He you don't see his reflection in her mirror that she has. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's such a great little like thing and. Yeah, he the director and the the writer are the same person, right? They they, they yes. do they yes. know every aspect of Jerry Dandridge. Everything they get everything right with him. You yes. know, like every nothing nothing doesn't track. Like there's no holes in, in that. Like everything he does is vampire centric. And I like when they show his strength and it's it's always such a nonchalant to him like even like later he's like crushing the like the metal or the wood cross that that oh, peter yeah. vincent is holding like it's it's all so nonchalant to him and that's what i really really like about his 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 the actor's portrayal he just has this great smirk on his face as he just basically crushes the door into the door frame <laughs> and he's like okay that was nothing <laughs> that was nothing no big deal and he starts walking down the hallway and he's whistling strangers in the night exchanging glances lovers at first sight i used to sing that song all the fucking time because of this movie i'm like i love strangers of the night i love frank sinatra no joke that's how i got introduced to frank sinatra i'm like who sings that <laughs> oh cool that that's great are probably like wow yeah so there you go uh, charlie returns to oh he goes in charlie's room closes the door and now he's hiding in his room charlie returns to his room doesn't see Jerry Dandridge right behind him while he's looking out the window. Charlie, Jerry's just standing right there. Doesn't see him at all and turns around and Jerry just grabs him by the neck and throws him up against the wall. And it's, it's such a great moment because Charlie's freaking out and he tells Charlie, he's like, look, I'm going to give you a choice. You don't say anything about me. We're good. Or I can kill you. I could kill you, Charlie. And that's when I realized that Jerry Dandridge isn't the bad guy here. It's Charlie. I agree. I've never seen a vampire movie where the vampire was as cool as he is. He's like, look, bro, we got no problems. Like, seriously, just be cool, man. Be fucking cool. And what does fucking Charlie do? (laughs) Not be fucking cool. And you know what? That's why he's an asshole. (laughs) And you're right, because Jerry has been killing... 
uh, you know, prostitutes and homeless people. And so he's taking care of business. He's 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 ridding the world of unclean people, so to speak. Right. You know, like you you don't even know, like Jerry Dandridge could be targeting people that have like terminal cancer and they don't know it. So he's like, well, fuck it. They're going to die anyways. You don't know like what his like like procedure to choose is now clearly he's just going with the the hookers and he's having them ordered and everything but you got to be like that that can't go on for too long because someone's gonna miss those people like i feel like jerry dandridge (laughs) had had an idea of where he was going to take his operation you know and i don't think it was into in 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 a very bad place to be honest with you i don't think he was going to take it to a very bad place i think he was going to just live off of people that no one was going to miss and you could say that that's bad and you could say that okay you know he's still a bad guy in that regard but in vampire lore he could be a lot worse is what i'm trying to say like he has the ability to be a terrible vampire but right out of the gate he seems like he's not preying on like school kids he's not preying on people in the neighborhood you know it's not like uh this is not like like a movie like silver bullet or something where like some kid gets like killed by a werewolf and like you know blood's everywhere like he's he's trying not to like hurt the people around him you know at least that's what i'm taking away from it and then he gives charlie an option here and charlie doesn't take it charlie's an asshole yeah so, i mean yeah. look the, the, you, one could say that that he's totally an asshole, and I agree. The other might say, "Well, how long before he decides? Okay, well, enough is enough. Now you're gonna die, and it's too right, late." Exactly. This point, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, how long until he changes his mind? Essentially. Yeah, and that could that could go down. Um, I I totally agree with you. I think in my mind as a kid, and even now watching it, I would go, "I'd take that deal. Give him a moment to like settle himself, then go kill him the next day." during the daytime like don't just because yeah. what charlie ends up doing is he pulls the cross out of his pocket and uses that and <laughs> jerry just looks at him and goes fool you know like you're an idiot and which he is and he goes to like push his head out the window and when he does charlie grabs a pencil but in that moment of trying to push his head out the window and he's about to he's basically messing with him toying with him um you see the picture of amy the the high school photo or whatever go through the window and crash through a stake, which is a great foreshadow. Um, And obviously Jerry doesn't see the photo. He's focused on Charlie. Charlie pulls a pencil out and stabs it through his hand. And that's when Jerry leans back and he's like, it's a great moment because Jerry's like in pain because it's a wooden, it's a piece of wood, like a stake through the heart. I love that. And um, he starts transforming into this vicious-looking vampire. Yeah, and I liked when he did get stabbed in the hand, he did that, like, pulling back but spinning in a circle type of thing, uh, which they they didn't go, like, a full shot of it. Like, nowadays you would have done it with, like, CGI or something. But it was just a nice little subtle thing that the actor did— as he basically pulled out of frame, like the camera was kind of on Charlie, and as the actor kind of pulled out of frame, he did a sort of a pirouette spin, but it was kind of like, that's that, that's what vampires do. They kind of like spin around, and then they cover themselves up, you know? And, and then, yeah, he turns real ugly. Like his vampire form is very ugly, and I like it so because ugly, it's, such yeah. a con- it's such a contrast to like how warm he is, like how warm his human face is, and how like easy it is for you to sort of, get close to him because when he goes into vampire mode he's ugly as sin and he's very terrifying and i like that a lot yeah he's got 
that he's actually has like three, almost like three different versions of what he looks like in the yeah. transformation, which is really cool. Um, it it kind of it, it shows. I like how they kind of show the progression of the transformation in that scene. And suddenly, finally, which is really funny in a way, uh, the mom finally hears all the commotion after Jerry screams at him. And she's banging on the door. She's trying to get out of her room. And that's when Jerry leaves. He turns back into, like, good-looking Jer and splits. And... Charlie comes out of his room and the mom finally comes out of her room and she's like, Oh, he's like, mom, it's okay, mom. I just had a bad dream. And she's like, Oh, uh, I I had a dream when I was at the front of Macy's or something. And I was stark naked or something like that. (laughs) Some like random comment about, and she goes, do you want a Valium? And that makes me believe because people are always like, Oh, she would have heard what was going on. She finally heard that, but she does take Valium at night. That's what I'm assuming and you wouldn't hear like subtle bumps in here and there and night, but a really loud scream you would definitely hear. Yeah, and of course, like back in the eighties, telling as having your kid take a Valium, you know, it's it was such a, a pill popping culture back then. Especially totally for, for pill kids. popping. Yeah. Total pill popping culture and um and she's like, and she she complains, you know. He's like, "Mom, go back to bed." And she's like, "Oh, I, I got I start the night shift tomorrow," which is a great little subtle line that she's going to be out of the picture the rest of the movie, which she is at this point. Exit stage right. Charlie goes back in his room. The phone rings. I uh, picks it up, and it's Jerry. And he drops the phone immediately because he looks across the hall, and there's Jerry, uh, soaking or dripping blood into this weird kind of basin, like a. And Billy's taking care of him. It's kind of a cool, like, it's an odd scene, but it's cool. I don't know. There's something about it. The basin is very special looking. Everything looks very intentional and special. Um, And he's like, you know, I just destroyed your car, Charlie. And it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you tomorrow night. And you heard the the car getting trashed. And I, for some reason, I had in my head that you actually saw a shot of the car, but you never do. And which is great directing on, on, or, you know, great on the director's job because in my head, I could hear the car getting trashed. And when he said it, I'm like, oh, I can picture it. And you never actually see it. Saves them a shit ton of money because yeah. they don't have to like trash a, a Mustang, you know? So that was that was cool. I like that little scene. I like that little like concept, that, that conceit, if you will. That conceit. And, and uh, you know, they hang up the phone and, and Fright Night's still on because as, as they're saying goodbye to Charlie, you hear the Fright Night. And it cuts back to Peter Vincent talking about how he's this awesome vampire killer. And he's like, do you watch me do it and they cut to one of his movies where he's hammering a a, a stake through the vampire's heart and there's blood just <laughs> splashing all over his face it's hilarious because it's so cheesy and and peter's like do it peter do it do it and now he's getting more into this vampire killer mentality like we're just gonna we're gonna get this guy oh wait is peter vincent the guy who's gonna actually help me cut to the next scene charlie's at the TV studio, which looks a lot of uh, Peter Vincent's TV studio in the daytime. And it looks a lot to me like the Jim Henson studio. Huh. And part of me was like, did they film that there? Yeah. I wrote that down that that looks like the, uh, it looks like the Muppet studio, whatever they call it, Jim Henson or the Muppet studio. But cause then even when they did the shot of, of Charlie and him talking, you could totally tell that was Hollywood. Yeah. Like that was yes. downtown Hollywood. So I, yeah, I that, do think that yeah. was the Jim Henson studio. I think so, which I think used to be, and I'm, I may be wrong on this cause I'm just pulling it out of my head. This it used to be 
the Charlie Chaplin Studios, I think. And uh, I, so it's a it's a very famous old lot. I'm pretty sure about that. There's a documentary called You're So Cool, Brewster. It's only available, unfortunately, on the uh, British import Blu-ray of Fright Night. You can pick it up on eBay for like 30 bucks for those other than Corey that would want to do that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, but it's it's like an it's 146 minutes. So we're looking at, you know, an exhaustive, uh, definitive documentary where everybody's interviewed. So I'm sure that's covered in that documentary. I didn't find it in my own research. But anyways, that's not the point. The point is, Charlie goes to Peter Vincent's to get help and Peter has just informed him that he's been fired from the network because they want the network wants to see people uh, maniacs hacking up young virgins, which is not what he does. And Charlie's like, "Well, I believe in vampires." And Roddy has this cool for me. I love when he has these cool shifts where he gets really sweet and really affectionate, and he goes, "Well, that's really nice of you to say that. I wish there were more people like you in this world, or something like that." And for me, I was like, "Man." It must really suck to be like a washed up actor and 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 then but then you meet a fan that reminds you of what you once were and and go, yeah, you know, I don't know. there's something really um genuine in that exchange, but then Charlie's yeah, I like, agree i it was I thought it was very sweet i thought i I liked Roddy McDowell's character in this movie. I like Peter Vincent a lot. He falls into the category of side characters that I love that <laughs> even though I hate the main character <laughs> in this um and but his his face is so expressive, you know yeah. he, his eyes his eyes are very expressive, and he just he does a great job emoting and here, unlike um class of 1984 i thought it felt a little bit more appropriate here like he yes and and i guess i'm kind of guessing that since they're sort of similar i guess that's probably more how roddy mcdowell is himself and i think it just works better as as peter vincent than he did as as the teacher from class of 1984 but i still enjoyed him in class of 1984 but he definitely works better here his style of acting works better here and i think yeah he's 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 playing you know an older character yeah I, I agree with you he's he was something big back in the day and he's ta- he's in the twilight of his career if you will and i love it because charlie's like you know i believe in vampires and he goes oh that's sweet and he goes in fact i have one living next door to one next door to me and i and i want you to help me kill it <laughs> and peter's like what um you're a maniac get away from me and he drives off you know and he's like but i thought you believed in vampires and peter's like i lied <laughs> <laughs> that was a great line love that line yeah. <laughs> And uh, and he's like, Mr. Vincent, please, you know, just drives off and he's back at his house and Ed and Amy show up at Charlie's house and they enter his room and there's candles lit everywhere because I guess that's a thing you do as you're getting into the mindset of I'm going to go kill a vampire and there's garlic everywhere. That was one of my takes, my my notes. Um, why does why did he have to have so many candles? What was the point of the candles? Because candles were popular back then. It was you think about like all the movies that had candles in it, or the, like for some no, some some reason that's supposed to be eerie, I suppose. And and he's chopping up, he's making a bunch of steaks, right? Wherever he got the, went to Home Depot or something, and um. And Amy and he, Amy and Charlie are like, "What the hell's going on?" And Ed's or Ed and Amy are like, "What the hell's going on?" And Ed's like, "This is just like Fright Night." And and um, and they're like, "We got to do something about it." And and Amy's like, "You know, uh, 
we, we should call the cops. And he's like, there isn't time, Amy. And, and she's like, what are you going to do if you go there by yourself? And, you know, he kills you. And then what's going to happen now? And, and basically she, she convinces Charlie to hold up. Don't go next door to kill Jerry until they try to convince Peter. And it's a sweet moment where she leaves and she says, you know, I love you, Charlie. And, uh, I don't know. It's just a nice moment of like, she looks genuinely, it's a heartfelt moment again with, with her exchange with Charlie. Yeah. And that scene, I thought the actor playing Charlie did a great job portraying the the hopelessness and the depression on his face of someone who's like, I'm going to die. Like he, he just like, I know I'm going to die. And just like with that shot with the hooker earlier where he got all giddy, you know, when she winked at him and he ran inside, there are these wonderful little moments where they just really nail that emotion that they're going for. And I'm like, Oh, wow yeah you 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 did a great job right here like i and, and when he was on the phone with uh with jerry when he called after the the whole thing is he's like sweating and everything you know yeah. and jerry after you, you know, stabbed him in the hand uh that was a great scene uh the the guy who plays charlie he does do a good job emoting when when he has to i i don't ever think that he as an actor is bad i just hate his character yeah I think you, he yeah. does a great job like like playing the character i think he does a fantastic the actor himself does a fantastic job it's the character's choices that i have an issue with yeah so yeah you're yeah and i get that i get that's what you're saying because i agree that i think all the actors in this movie do a phenomenal job with what they're given um and charlie included obviously william ragsdale but um yeah amy and uh ed go to peter vincent's house and try to convince him that they come in his house and he's like, Oh, do you want my autograph? And, and they say no. And he goes, well, what could be more important than my autograph? <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, Amy's like, well, saving a, saving a boy's life. And he goes, well, I, I guess that is more important. <laughs> but he welcomes <laughs> yeah, him like, in. Oh. He's like, yeah. And he has this kind of, he has a really cool, uh, Hollywood apartment. I love it. And, but he's picking up after himself when he welcomes them in, he has to like clean up a little bit and he puts a robe on to kind of present himself in a more uh, elegant Hollywood way. And while Amy's talking to Peter, vincent ed's looking around at all the cool his his house is so radical because it's got so many great um so much great memorabilia from the movies that he was in i think that's what it's supposed to allude to but you've got klaus kinski's nosferatu mask from warner herzog's nosferatu with the hands which is so cool looking it's clearly klaus kinski all the weapons are on the walls and all these cool props from the movies he made it's for me it's so visually stimulating i wanted to slow it down and frame by frame look at everything in there because there was so much going on and it's cool too because it's it's such a juxtaposition of who he is because you think he's uh, that he's going to be this fearless vampire killer and you know he's not because he's just an actor and all these things that he surrounds himself with is it looks like it just it looks like he's more powerful than he actually is and that's yeah. what's that's what i like i like that it's in and and he himself he's aware that it's all props like he he knows that and it's more of like him displaying something that you know he's proud of it's props but if you're like ed or or you know or or marcy darcy who walk in there (laughs) it presents itself as he's a capable person it presents himself that he's a capable vampire hunter but he's not but he becomes one he does he does and he's kind of forced into it but at this point he's like 
you know, Amy tells him that she's the boyfriend or she, she wants to save Charlie's life. And he's like, Oh, I hope it's not your friend. And she, and, and, uh, and, and, and Ed's like, yeah, she's got the hots for him. And he hits Ed or she hits Ed. And he's like, Amy, it's, a, it's really a funny exchange. <laughs> and she's like, will you help us please? He goes, well, I'm, I'm leaving Los Angeles. Um, but she offers him a $500 savings bond and he's like, I'll take it. And, uh, and so they call up Jerry Dandridge and talk to Billy Cole and, or, and they're basically laying out this plan that they're going to perform this fake t- vampire test to prove that he's not a vampire. And Jerry's like, well, don't use crosses because I'm a born again, uh, Christian and sac- holy water sacrilegious. And, um, and so Peter's like, well, I'll just use tap water. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not going to be real and they can, they agree to these terms and hang up the phone. They're going to do it. And there's a really sweet moment where, uh, Ed is, he's looking at this vampire or I think it's, it's, um, it might be Peter and, 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 and Peter's like, Oh, this is, this, this, this is a prop from my film. It's one of my favorite, it was one of my favorite roles. And it's a really sweet moment again, where you're like, Oh, you know, he's reminiscing on a time that's just gone and it's again great acting again. Uh, that's enough I can say about that. Before we leave the scene, I got to say my favorite interactions are Ed and Amy together without Charlie. I like yeah. their relationship. It's it's because it's you know it's two people that would never be friends, but they're friends because of you know Charlie is is the factor there. And then the fact and then those relationships are always interesting to me when you then take away the factor that brings them together and see how they interact together. And I I like that. I very much enjoyed Amy and Ed's real short relationship together that we see on screen. Yeah. And I, and I love this. I love this overall moment and scene and connection to Jerry because uh, it's a great lead up to like, OK, this kid's clearly crazy on, from their perspective, but we're going to make it so everybody's happy at the end and everybody gets what they want. And Charlie will be the one thinking, OK, he's not a vampire and he can everyone can rest at night, <laughs> which is really cool. It's cool because Jerry's like, oh, um, we don't have to go out tonight because Charlie's coming over tomorrow. The great Peter Vincent's bringing him over. So, okay, <laughs> there goes our evening. And it's really fun because they like look at each other like, okay, well, we're not going to kill anybody. It's such a funny moment because they're just like, yeah, well, no one's going to die tonight. We'll just kill him tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's so much easier. It'll be so yeah. much easier that way. And yeah. And that's what I love about Jerry and Billy. They're like two bros. They're like, they're, <laughs> they're friends. totally bros. I, I don't, yeah. I don't get the sense that, that, Billy is like doing stuff under the penalty of fear, you know, no. like he's not doing it because he's scared of Jerry. I, I, I always got, I got the sense that they're pals, they're friends. I think Billy likes his situation here. You know, I think he's, yeah. he's, he's loving it, man. Cause, and that's always different than, than the Renfield type characters. Cause they're always like tortured and they always like know that they're under their master's thumb. But Billy's yeah. like, fuck it. I'm having a good time, man. What I get to live forever. And I, you know, what do I care? He's, he, he's, I like Billy. <laughs> I like that, that kind of, that character that what they did with them you know yeah, and, and totally jerry agree. it's a nice little yeah it's a, it's an it's a fun little it, it spins the whole renfield thing on its head yeah it does and and jerry jerry's just he's so cool he's so casual it's like whatever we're just gonna do this thing you know it's all good hey what's happening yeah. <laughs> so um so it cuts to the next scene and ed is uh it's ed and amy and charlie waiting for peter vincent awaiting his arrival 
Amy's outfit is ridiculous. It is this ridiculous plaid 1950s bebop with her headband and like looking all I don't know. It 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 just really bugged the hell out of me. This is the one thing in the movie where I'm like, oh god. It, but it's it's intentional, I'm sure. It's just silly looking. And Ed looks really cool with his camouflage pants and his uh, his cool. Uh, he's got like this kind of Asian inspired Japanese shirt underneath it, I think, and with his bomber jacket on. And I actually in the in the Patreon thing, um, Stephen talks a little bit about the. Costume choices. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you should be because that interview is a great little moment about why he ch- why those costumes kind of came to be. Because I think the costumes oh, that cool. Ed yeah co- the costumes Ed wears in Fright Night um, were very much intentional. Everything was intentional. So you should check okay. that out. Anyways, uh, they're they're starting to argue and uh, Peter Vincent show well Peter Vincent finally shows up and Charlie's getting all impatient. And he's like, come on, I'll, you know, uh, uh, let, let's go in there and do this. And, and, and Peter just is like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And he's got his little vial of holy water. And, and Charlie's like, well, where's the rest of your stuff? Where's the rest of your weapons? You know, he's like, well, I'm not going to need any of that. Just, and he goes, what are you talking about? He's like, look, Charlie, just relax. It's all going to be good. And Charlie's freaking out. And, and they go to the door, they knock on the door and, and, or Peter's knocking on the door and, uh, and, Billy answers the front door and, and Charlie's or uh, Peter's got his hand up because he's been knocking so high. I guess that's a thing. <laughs> and Billy Cole puts his hand out. He's like, you know, Peter Vincent. Nice. To, it's so nice to meet you. And it's just a weird exchange. Um, it's a for me. It was the, the it's it's a power play because I feel like Billy towers over him. And he's like, yeah, you're entering my house. And Peter looks very uncomfortable. Um, it's just a really, again, another subtle moment of like i own your ass and you guys are entering our realm now you know yeah Um, billy all billy cole always has his bravado he's always like oh yeah i'm the coolest shit around and you know what he is yeah he walks in they all walk in and i love this because billy's like hey jer they're here (laughs) well no but i I liked how uh, uh i think peter vincent said oh i don't think he heard you and billy was like oh he heard me because yeah and this comes in later i just realized just now this comes in later where the very end where where jerry hears peter vincent upstairs talking to um charlie and amy once she's bitten like his his hearing jerry's hearing right now they're alluding to that for later i just picked up on that but yep. I noticed it in the movie when when Billy says, you know, oh, he can hear you. And I like that. At at that point in time, like just as a standalone thing, I like that because Billy knows. He's like, "Oh no, he's a vampire. He can hear me. Don't don't worry, buddy." <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. yeah. I can whisper it. He he like Jerry, he can hear everything that's happening right now. And that's again, that's another thing that I love is they are always reinforcing like Jerry's abilities. They're always yes. reinforcing them and because they don't use CGI or anything, so they're always either reinforcing them practically, like through practical effects or through some kind of like camera tricky trickery, which is great because that's even cheaper than doing a practical effect. You just do camera work. But this is this is old school horror movie making, which is what I love and you rely on the actors and you rely on camera work to convey whatever power that the character has that you want to convey. Well, is, is bats have sonar, don't they? Sonar hearing. Yeah. So there you go with that. But I guess a little bit later when, when 
Jerry and Peter or it's Charlie and Peter are, are talking. Maybe it's because he's not he's distracted as he doesn't hear what they're saying in regards to Amy when they're in the we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. Makes, we'll we'll get to that later because then yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. No, and I yeah, now I'm actually connecting some dots, which is this is why I love doing these podcasts with you, buddy, because Likewise. there's no other point in time that I can talk about Fright Night for two and a half hours straight. There's no other <laughs> right. like my wife won't put up with that, so <laughs> I know. Likewise, likewise. So here we and, and this is why we are what we are and we love it. Um, so Jerry enters the, uh, the picture and he's eating another piece of fruit, which is so awesome. He's eating a peach this time. Uh, and, um, and he's, you know, I, 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 it's so funny when he does this because when he meets Peter Vincent and he's like sucking his fingers from the fruit, uh, and he's wiping his hands off on a, on a napkin before he shakes his hands. He's talking with his mouth full. And I used to like, when I would eat, I would think about, I would do what he did. Like, hmm, does a, that kind of sound, you know, I would think about that. And, and it's, I don't know. It just, that stood out to me as a moment of like, yeah, I did that <laughs> intentionally. Anyways, uh, he meets Peter and he's like, I've seen all your films and I find them very amusing. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> and then he meets Ed and he meets uh, Amy and he's like so into her. And oh, because he, he, he recognizes her. He recognizes her immediately and he kisses her hand and he goes charmed. But then he realizes what's going on. Like he realizes that he's maybe a little too into her. And he's like, isn't that what vampires do, Charlie? You know, or isn't <laughs> Dude, that what that vampires was, I say? I like that. Yeah, yeah I like that because he, he knew that he was into her. And he's like, oh, shit, they can read that. Let me just play it off. But <laughs> yeah. also at the same time, also at the same time, he he clocked Amy before, like, he introduced himself to Ed. So, yes. like, I liked that that. He was staring at at Amy, but then uh, I think Peter, whoever says, you know, this is Ed. He goes, you know, he says like, you know, Ed, you know, like he he, he acknowledged Ed. Whereas yeah. I feel like other movies they would have had him just staring at Amy. But yes. he's such a he's such a gentleman. The character is such a gentleman that he still like gave his salutations to Ed or whatever. He still greeted Ed. And I was like, again, that just, that's what makes Jerry Dandridge so awesome. He's, he's classy. He's always classy when he's in human form. Yes. Yeah. And, and he's, he's connecting with everybody. You're right. Like he, he acknowledges Ed, but he doesn't really like, he has a moment later with Ed that speaks to what happens later in the movie. But, um, but yeah, he's clearly so into Amy and, and then, they, everyone laughs and they walk into the the living room, I suppose, where the fireplace is to do the perform the test. And Ed's like some vampire Brewster, and and Amy's like, God, he's so neat. Oh, juice is flowing, <laughs> <laughs> and he's playing off like Charlie's such a dick, which he is. He is. You're right. He is. He and, and he is in his mind. He's totally a dick. And Peter gives Jerry the holy water, and there's just a moment where Jerry looks a little nervous about the whole thing because he's like, Oh shit. I hope this isn't really holy water. And he goes to am, drink it. Am I playing Russian roulette now or something? <laughs> right? you know, like, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that is vampire Russian roulette. I, totally. I, I liked the fear on his face, you know, cause he was like, okay, <laughs> this is do or die now. You know, yeah, I, I totally basically painted myself into a corner here. So yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's like, okay, uh, well, I'm either going to die or I'm going to live one or the other, you know? And so, and I love it. Cause Charlie's like, here, 
I'll protect you with this. And he pulls out his little 99 cent cross and a little tin cross. And it's so ridiculous. And they're, and they're rolling their eyes at him, which is a, such a funny uh, moment. Cause they're like, Oh my God, you're such a loser. Stop. You know? And he goes, he drinks the holy water and he goes, he's big, big grin on his face. And he goes, satisfied. <laughs> and Charlie's like, what the hell? That it, it can't be. And, uh, and he goes, no, Charlie, it, and Peter's like, no, Charlie, it is. You calling me a liar, you know, and they're pu- all putting it on Charlie to be the dick. And Charlie's like, well, if he's not a vampire, have him touch this. And he puts the cross right up to him. And that's when Peter looks, looks, definitely looks startled because he's, he just for a moment, he's starting to get him there. And Peter's like, oh, Charlie, put that away. And he puts it back in his jacket, which is a really cool moment. It's like he doesn't just like shove it out of his hand. It's very like intentional. Like, we're just going to put this in your pocket and you're never going to play with it again. You understand? You little shit. And um, Jerry's like, yeah, you don't you don't want to cause your friends any more pain. I love that line where he, you know, and he's like, you're right. Oh, shit. He could probably just kill us all right here if he wanted to. So he asks him if he's convinced and Charlie's like, yes, I love that moment where he's like, are you satisfied? And he goes, yes, you motherfucker. You're such <laughs> yeah, a dick. I like that too. Cause he, cause I mean, you know, as much as I hate on Charlie, he does know the truth. So, yeah. you know, he, he's like, fuck you. Yes. I'm satisfied. <laughs> and it's you know? really funny because what horror film do you know that just does this? Where yeah. what vampire movie do you know that just does this? You know, and again, I think Lost Boys has a owes a lot to this film because they kind of borrow elements of that. Which up until this point, I can't think of another vampire movie that has really behaved this way. Um, so they're saying goodbye, and they're saying all their goodbyes, and I love it because that's when Jerry's talking to Ed. He's like, "Oh, you know, you have to come over sometime. I'm sure we could have a great discussion about the occult and all the things we have in common, or something." And um, and he's looking at Amy and he's like, you know, I fucking her. And he's like, you know, uh, see you again soon or something like that. And, and, and Peter's checking himself out in the mirror. And it's great because as he does that, he looks in the reflection and everyone has a reflection except for Jerry. And that's when he drops the mirror and he's stumbling over himself. And Char- Jerry asks, is everything OK? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. OK, we got to go now. Goodbye. And they think they've dodged a bullet and they close the door. And Billy's like, Billy Cole's like, you know, well, we don't have to worry about them, Charlie, anymore or whatever. And then suddenly Jerry steps on the piece of mirror. It's such an amazing moment. And he picks it up. And, and yeah, that was so cool because so he, cool. he, I like that because he was like, you know, right then you just hear the crunch of, of the mirror oh. all under his foot. Because it, it was just like a little shard. It's not, yeah. it wasn't like a lot, but he knew. He knew right then and there. He pieced it together that Peter Vincent, you know, saw him, saw the reflection. Because Jerry doesn't have any mirrors in his place. It was no. uh, from this little pocket thing that, that, Peter Vincent had from one of his movies. That was his, one of his favorite yep. prop or something uh, that he used in his favorite movie or whatever. And um, yeah, that was that was cool. And the only reason he got it in there is because it was in his pocket. I don't think Jerry would have allowed a, a mirror to to come into the house, you know. So yeah, that was I like that. I like that a lot. I like the look on Jerry Dandridge's face when he stepped on the little shard of glass, and right then he knew, and that's what was cool. Yeah, you knew like oh shit, now it's gonna ramp up because at the exact same time while this is happening. Uh, Peter wants to get out of there, but Charlie's like, tell me why you're so upset. And he finally tells him, he's like, you didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. And he's like, see, that's the proof. Oh my God, let's, let's do this now. And he's like, I'm leaving. And he's like, takes off. Right. And then 
Charlie's like, we got to all stick together. And, and, uh, and Ed's starting to walk off and he's like, Hey, where are you going? Pencil Dick. And Ed like looks down at his crotch. I love that. I love that choice. Cause he's like, Oh, home, you know, um, which <laughs> apparently at this point, I guess, you know, home is like on the other side of town because they, they walk home through the series of like alleyways and like a downtown kind of almost like a ghetto. And yeah, I get it. It's not, doesn't really connect with the fact that uh, we haven't seen this area of town before, but it's still kind of a great setup for what's about to happen. Yeah. But it's also, but it's also what really disconnects me from the movie. Like I, <laughs> it's cause, cause I noticed because at the beginning of the movie, when they showed the neighborhood, uh, which is, you know, the universal backlot, but they use that matte painting to show this little small town with a, with a, ch- a church, you know, like it looks like a little yeah. Vermont, you know, like tiny little town. Then later on, they go to a club that's clearly in downtown LA and they, they have this scene here with Ed and, and walking Amy home. That is clearly the, the biggest freaking alleyway system that's ever, <laughs> ever existed. And I'm fairly certain that I've seen them shoot every angle of that alleyway in Buffy or angel at one point back in the nineties. <laughs> and cause it's, it's all, I think all of that is the, the Paramount or the universal backlots, you know, sets. Um, but I'm like, world building they did such a great job building jerry dandridge they did such a great job building the world of the vampire that this world here it's like is it a small midwest or vermont town or is it a big town what is it and i get what you're saying that it's like it's supposed to be anywhere usa but it was it was just so clearly hollywood (laughs) to me and you know me i can turn my brain off to these things but (laughs) they need to add up like they need to add up and 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 Ed just runs through the biggest alley that's ever existed. I mean, he turns corners and more corners, and he's still in an alley. Where are you? Is this an industrial park? What is happening? Well, it makes sense. It makes sense that uh, Charlie doesn't want Ed to go down this alley because they walk by the alley, and uh, Ed, Amy, and Charlie walk by the alley, and, and Charlie's like, "We got to stay together." And Ed's like, "I'm taking the shortcut," which is not a shortcut, <laughs> clearly. And uh, he walks down the alley. And he lets out this scream. It's such a great scream. And Charlie and Ed, or Charlie and Amy run after him. And, and he's pretending. He's like, oh, he bit me, Charlie. You know what you have to do? You got to kill me before I give you a hickey. <laughs> you know? And he's like, fuck you, Ed. You know, fuck you, evil. And and he's like, you guys might be chicken shit, but I'm not or whatever. And they, and they like ditch him, right? They take off. They're like, fine, screw you. We're out of here. And Ed's kicking a can, he's walking down the alleyway, and then suddenly you hear the guitar and the piano, dun, 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 ding, ding, and Charlie, Ed's being followed by Jerry Dandridge. And it's such oh, a great yeah. moment because, because when Ed finally does see Char- uh, Jerry and he takes off, it's so intense. And Ed looks so terrified, genuinely terrified. It's such a visceral, real moment. And Ed runs down this alley and finally gets stuck in this weird corridor, which at the time, and I watched this with my brother back in the day, and my brother's like, oh, he could get out of that super easy. I'm like, why? How? He goes, well, you just stick your your feet on one side and you put your hands against the other side. It's it's narrow enough to crawl your kind of shimmy up the wall i'm like who are you dude maybe we just watched so so eric's 
So Eric just wants him to basically parkour his way out of there. Yeah, like he's not parkouring shit, you know? He may be dressed to, to impress, but he's he's like this scrawny little kid, you know? This is not going to happen. And um, no. he's stuck. <laughs> he's stuck. And cue all the smoke, the smoke machines coming in. And Ed starting to follow the, the fog or smoke. And then suddenly Jerry's right behind him. And he's like, hello, Ed. And uh, Ed screams and it's such an awesome exchange because Jerry's like look no one's going to pick on pick on you anymore all you have to do is take my hand no one's going to call you names no one's going to treat you bad and it's and it feels real you feel again to your point Jerry's the good guy he's going to make Ed a stronger person and he's going to give him a better life by just taking his hand and when and he does and he bites him and he lets out this wail of a scream. And Ed, uh, Amy, and Charlie, uh, Charlie's like, What was that? And Amy's like, That's just Ed messing around. Cut it out, Eva. It isn't funny. <laughs> Which is so annoying. Even though, we... even though evil, uh, evil's in clearly in like Long Beach or something while, <laughs> you know, yeah. while they're yeah, walking around downtown. You could hear his scream from Long Beach all the way to Hollywood and Highland. I'm, I'm convinced yep. of that. So, so, um, so they start walking off and, and, and it, it just, it continues up. Like the pace doesn't let up at this point. It just keeps ramping. And now they, they start walking down a hallway or, or, or um, whatever street and the power has been cut and Amy's like trying to act like everything's okay, but they realize that shit's up and they walk right into, J- they see Jerry and they run in the opposite direction and Jerry's there again because he can bolt back and forth because he's got that power. They did a good job, uh, again, with, with like yeah. practical effect type of stuff. They did a good job of like having, you know, like uh, a body double in the background, you know, walking. They, they just, the, the, the camera work, the editing did a fantastic job doing this whole scene with the doubles. You know, like they'll be running away from a Jerry Dandridge that's clearly a, not clearly, but you know, it's an it's another actor dressed up and then they round the corner and he's there. So they did a great job. I liked that. I really liked that. And I wish we saw more of it. I always like when Jerry has his powers on display. Yeah, that's a great moment. And, and, and Jerry's got, he's so cocky and he's so happy. He's just like, you guys, she's going to be mine and you're going to be dead. You little shit. And, um, Charlie and Amy sneak into the, the kitchen of this nightclub and this dinner club or whatever it is. And you, you know that I love my dancing montage scenes and movies. And, um, the, the, the song that they run into is a song called armies of the night. It's this cool kind of like eighties synth song. This for me, this like next 15 minutes of the movie or 10 minutes of the movie, uh, kicks off song montage scenes that I'm just like, Oh, I love that song. Oh, that's a great song. Oh, I want to get that song. Because the soundtrack for Fright Night is fantastic. And they run into the club and they go. The, first, they call the police. Uh, Charlie calls the police. They're hiding by a payphone. And the police don't believe them. And at the same time, you cut back to Peter Vincent's house. And Ed's knocking on the door. And he's like, Quick, uh, there's a vampire out here. Let me in. And Peter lets him in. I love this scene. I love this scene so yeah. much because he comes in and and Peter's like, well, What are we going to do? And he's like, not what we are going to do. What are you going to do? And he shows him his neck. Ed shows him his neck and he's got the two holes and his fangs are out. I really like the way Ed's 
like teeth looked in this. Yeah, me too. I like the way the vampire, especially Amy later with her crazy smile. I really think that the vampires are fucking cool as shit in this movie. Yeah. I like their gnarly, gnarly teeth. Ed's Ed's are cool, and then Amy's are cool too. Yeah, I like, um, and we'll have to do a screenshot and put it on the Instagram, but I like the scene. uh, I like the way Ed looks in the scene. He looks really cool. Uh, with, yeah. with the fangs and the jacket and just has like this, like, yeah, teenage uh, badass vampire. And he is a badass now and he's super confident and he's totally fucking with Peter. And he's like, you know, I used to respect you, but, you know, now I just can't stand you. And and uh, and he goes to it. He's like the great Peter Vincent vampire killer. And he goes to attack Peter and Peter pulls out a cross and puts the cross on his forehead. And it's so great when he melts the cross on his forehead i think people have totally borrowed from this this scene because i've never seen anything before it uh up to this point yeah no it's it's such a great scene it's so cool it, it, it looks visceral it looks painful yes. it looks like it really burns into his forehead and i love that ed's first reaction is to look into a mirror to yes. see what happened but yes. he's because he's so fresh he's so new as a vampire that he still has like his human you know human things going on he's like oh let me let me look in a mirror i can't what did you do to me you know yeah. and i'm like fuck dude like if if does that mean he's gonna have to like spend his entire life now his vampire life with that burned into his forehead basically yeah um, i but love i like that i i like that he looked into the mirror and not seeing what he did you know and that made him upset because it's kind of like you know it hammers home that he's you know never gonna be human again he's he's never gonna have his old life back again and that really just kind of i think triggers ed and he gets really upset yeah, he's such a he's such a tragic character because he's this picked on kid who is an outcast and now he's once again an outcast in this community he just got welcomed into. And it, yeah, it is oh, it's such a great moment. I totally agree with you. And 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 it goes again to the the way the vampires look when they're really angry or full vampire cuz his he's got more teeth in his mouth or he his mouth is like full of just shit and um uh, and he's like, you know, the master will kill you for this, but slowly, so slowly. And Peter Vincent's like, you know, very confident. Back, stay back. And he's getting like his mojo, right? I say back and Ed screams and jumps out the window. And you're just like, okay, Peter's got some balls now. He's ready to nut up. And yeah, I like that. I like that you saw Peter kind of how Peter Vincent got his groove back, essentially. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I love it. And um, you cut right back to the club and you know, Charlie hangs up the phone. He's like, the cops don't believe me. And Amy's like, I'm scared, Charlie. And Charlie's like, well, we'll call Peter Vincent. And then Amy's like, you know, he doesn't care about us. He doesn't believe you. I paid him. I'm like, don't you remember, Amy, like a little while back, Peter knew that uh, there was no reflection in the mirror, so he might believe you. That's part, that's where I was going with this. Like, no, yeah, Amy, think a little bit. Don't be so ditzy about the whole thing. And uh, then the next song cuts in. This song called it's called "Good Man and a Bad Time," and it's like that got that pulse pounding. It's a great song. I love that song. Um, and that's when Jerry shows up. And Charlie's on the phone calling Peter, and Amy kind of like 
Charlie was in the beginning of the movie where he he got entranced with watching them bring a coffin in the house. Amy's entranced with P, uh, Jerry's powers. He's locked on her and he's pulling her out of the payphone area and onto the main floor of the club while Charlie's trying to get a hold of uh, Peter Vincent. Yeah, I like that she she was like, she was kind of like, you know, at first it was kind of like, oh, he's here, I'm watching him. But then she slowly gets, you know, pulled out towards him. And that's another, you know, old school vampire trope that yep. you can kind of like do like a mind thing, you know, with them and everything. And, and you know, kind of, like, I guess, hypnotize or entrance in, in, in people. That's vampires can do that. And I like how they do that here. And I mean, you can just do that with Chris uh, uh, Sarandon. I mean, he's just he's so dreamy. <laughs> he's he's so dreamy, and he's got this cool like sweater on that I really wanted yeah. so bad. I love that sweater that he's got. He's it's like he had a costume change, and you get you let all that <laughs> you let the things. Like, how did he change his clothes? He's a fucking vampire. Okay, he can do whatever the he's, hell he wants. Do he can do anything? Yeah, exactly. He he's a vampire. Can do anything. And yeah, and then and, there's that cool scene where they're actually dancing together when he finally kind of entices her out onto the the dance floor. And you know oh, he's yeah. kind of doing the the thing you know like behind her you know it's all very sexual but it's then very sexual. you know they actually start it's it's very sexual and they start dancing though and she looks in the reflection in her mirror and she only sees herself dancing and I thought that was really cool because you know she looks like she's holding on to him in the reflection but he's not there and I'm always yes. so I'm just so easily like sort of uh, amused by reflection vampire stuff you know like yeah. I just like oh yeah that's clever I get it I yeah, like it yeah, you know I'm always amused by it yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny because yeah because it, it's it's a little silly looking when when they are da- when she does discover that uh she's dancing by herself because there's a few moments up to that point while he's seducing her where she starts to break away a little bit like oh my god what's going on but he constantly pulls her back he pulls her back in and even yeah. like people are like oh why did her hair change or why does her whole outfit look different because now she feels se- he's like making her he's sexualizing he's having sex with her without having sex with her and she like is more sexualized and more kind of vibrant and he's changing her into a woman so to speak and this whole time that's going on Charlie's on the phone with Peter trying to convince him to help him and Peter's like you know uh, Charlie I'm scared and you know, this isn't going to happen and, and, and Peter's and, and Peter like you know, hangs up the phone and he goes looking for Amy at this point. He realizes she's gone. <laughs> oh my God. It cuts to the next song, um, which I, it's called, this next song is called Give It Up. <laughs> and it's like, it's got a great, another great kind of Pointer Sisters type vibe to it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're dancing on the floor and, and Charlie's looking for them. And I think it's a really great moment because Charlie looks so desperate. He's like, you know where is she what's going on and then he finally finds them he comes up and and uh and he's like you can't have her and 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 charlie and jerry just goes in to kiss her because he's just like you know you little shit she's mine now (laughs) and charlie goes to hit him and he catches his fist and he starts crushing his fist and the sound effects are great because i'm like is he cracking his knuckles or is he breaking his fist maybe cracking his knuckles because he uses it later and he's and he's like, you can't kill us here. And he goes, I, I want you to, to come. I want you and Peter Vincent to come to my house later tonight. You know, just the two of you. And and um, the the two bouncers show up at this point. <laughs> and they're and they're like, we got this. You know, well, what, the one bouncer takes Charlie and Amy away up the stairs to get him out of the club. And the other uh, 
bouncer gave him a great line. He goes, man, if you want chicken, go someplace else or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Charlie or Jerry just Jerry, you know, flashes his sh- sharp fingers and the bouncer sees the fingers and yells up to Leon. Leon! And that's what I like. There was that cool little character moment where that bouncer, I mean, even though he's about to die in two seconds, he calls out for his friend. And, you know, you don't see that in movies. You don't need to have that character moment in the movie. Any Any other movie... And he would have just been like Jerry Dandridge would have just killed him. But yeah. they gave that character that one little moment of of fear and call out for his friend, you know. And I like that. I was like, that's that was that was a nice little. I don't know, man. That was a cool moment. It was it was interesting. It was cool. It was different. It was totally cool. I I am full agreement with you because you got a little more depth to these two random side characters that are about to get killed off in about thirty seconds because. Because uh, Le- not Leon, but the other bouncer gets his throat slashed, and it's and everyone freaks yeah. out. And the other bouncer runs downstairs to get him, and Jerry grabs him with his claws and sticks his claws in his throat and rips his throat out too. He's just a throat ripper. He's a throat ripper, <laughs> dream maker. And so, uh, come on, throat <laughs> ripper. Isn't that what um? Isn't that what MacGruber does to kill people? He just rips throats out. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a. Th- <laughs> That's right. You've seen MacGruber, right? Oh, I love MacGruber. I think MacGruber is the, one of the best Saturday Night Saturday Night Live movies ever. Yeah, yeah, and that was his telltale move. Was he just tore throats? He just rip your throat out. That's what he would That's do. Right. He <laughs> I love throat it. out. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so he he rips the throat of the dude, and and now at this point there's melee. Everyone's freaking out, trying to get out of the club, and Amy and Charlie are together, but they get separated, and Jerry catches Amy and takes off with her. And looks down like they're in the spiral staircase kind of. And Charlie looks down at Amy and Jerry and he's yelling out to Amy. And Jerry looks up at Charlie with his big shit eating grin on his face like, later, dude, I'm going to take your girlfriend and have sex with her (laughs) and make her mine. (laughs) And when Charlie finally gets out of the club, he sees Billy Cole uh, and Jerry and Amy driving off in the Jeep with Ed in the backseat, hanging out with his tongue hanging out and laughing (laughs) maniacally. And he's so mutated looking at this point. And just, he just looks like that scab that's about ready to fall off. And, you know, you just want to play with it for a little while. (laughs) Cuts to Charlie going to Peter's house finally. And he's knocking on his door and and Peter thinks he's a vampire. and, And he's like, you know, if you're, if you're not a vampire, then grab this and, puts a cross in his face and Charlie grabs the cross and Peter's like, Oh, come in. You know, leaves him in. He's like, what are we going to do? And he's like, we got to, you got to help me. Okay. Oh, this is a, this is a moment I rewound over and over and over again because Charlie's trying to tell Peter what happened. And he says, uh, you know, Jerry trapped us in a place called the club. And on the subtitles of the DVD, it cuts out, but I could have swear, I could have sworn. He says he trapped us in the place called the club rape. And I'm like, club rape. Like, is it called club rape? I, I got to find out. If anyone knows, please let us know. It's not called club rape, but what did he say? He said club something, but it, but this, but it didn't get picked up on the subtitles. Um, anyways, Peter wants to call the cops, and, uh, and then, you know, Charlie's like, they're not going to believe us, and Peter's like, well, I was paid to uh, do that thing to help you, and Charlie's like, I know, and Peter's like, but 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 you still want me to help you? And he's like, yes, you're Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. 
And he's like, that was a character in a movie. It's so great. It's such a great moment because he's like, I'm afraid. And it's such a real moment because it's like, yeah, I would be afraid too, dude. I'd be terrified. Just horrible. Of course. These are you know? real fucking vampires. This is life or death. This is yeah. This is real. <laughs> this yeah, is so, really happening. Totally. And he's like, I can't do it alone, Peter. You've got to help me. And then you cut to Jerry's house, the seduction scene where Amy's passed out on the floor in this beautiful white gown and she's by this candlelit fire and and Jerry's standing there and he's 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 look oh he's looking at the painting or Amy sees the painting and uh, and she and Jerry reveals that it that was someone he knew a long time ago and you're like oh shit yeah this is the reincarnation of his girl. Yeah, it's the classic Dracula. I mean, even it, it wasn't in Bram Stoker's Dracula, like wasn't Winona Ryder the same thing, like a reincarnation of like his past love, basically, you know? Yeah. And I like that. It's 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 like he, you know, this Fright Night, he takes these just really cliche vampire concepts but makes them not cliche because he makes them modern and yep. in a modern setting, but he still keeps the concept the same. And, uh, I like that. I, I that is one of the things that I like about the movie. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really cool moment because it, it's taking the elements of the old folklore and modernizing it, really modernizing it for 1985 and, and keeping it relevant. And, um, you know, Jerry takes his shirt off and he's half naked to seduce her and, and you can, I, that this is the moment when I'm like, I can't tell if she's hypnotized by him, like he's using the hypnotic power he has, or if she's really genuinely in love with him. Because part of me feels like she is. Part of me feels like she is connecting with that piece of her her uh, reincarnation incarnated past, and is like super it, head over heels, like this is the guy I want to be with. And they start making out, and I to this day feel like this is the one of the sexiest horror moments ever where uh you know she starts he starts to bite her neck and she gets scared but then she just like lets him in and then he goes in he goes for that big bite with those fangs and the music is hot and she's looking hot and he bites into her neck and you see the blood go down her back and and she's like quivering and she's making these kind of orgasmic sounds and it's really sexy because all you see is the blood go down her back and to me i'm like that's how you nail a sex scene, you know, like super yeah. subtle, but like super romantic. A hundred percent. I agree with you. That was a fantastic scene. And especially since I, I believe her character is supposed to be a virgin. So yeah. the blood trickling down her back is that, you mm. know, double entendre, you know, her losing her virginity type of thing too. There's, there's a lot going on there and it's, it's a very well done scene. I like how Jerry Dandridge, um, when he, when she was like, she, you know, she pulled away at first and then he was like, no, no, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna do this without your permission and yeah. then she kind of let him in i took it as she wasn't under his hypnosis at this point you know yeah. like he kind of i think he kind of needed her to be free will i think if he's going to change somebody like evil ed or something i think it has to be free will like yeah. i think they have to like want it um and i think that's why he could say the things that he said to evil ed because he he understood him and he knew what to say to get ed to sort of you know be like susceptible to it be like okay i'll, I'll do it um that was my takeaway he he probably uses a little bit of hypnosis on her obviously in the club but i think he wants to he wants her to want it now 
did did the filmmaker spend enough time to kind of properly give us that idea? I don't think so. I would have liked to have actually seen Jerry Dandridge pursue Amy a little bit longer in the film so that maybe and then maybe he could show her some of his better qualities so that she would actually maybe be susceptible to it. But in this moment, I, I think the takeaway is, especially because she recoiled a little bit and he did the whole like, I'm not. I'm not going to hurt. Like he, he pulled back. Like if he was going to just do it, she would have just allowed it. Like if he was doing the hypnosis thing, the mind control, she would have just allowed it to happen. But then it's so right there, you take away that, okay, he, he doesn't have her under his control, but also she gave herself to him freely. That's what he was kind of like being like, look, I'm not going to do, you know, that was the, that was the look that I was getting from him to her. So when she gave into it, I, I took it as she gave into him under her full volition. Yeah. I totally agree with you that he, um, if she, if she had said, you know, no, I don't want to do this. He would have been okay with it. That's, that's where I'm going with it. Like he, he would have, he, it was on, it was up to, it was on her terms. He's like, I can, I can kill Charlie and we can, you know, you're mine now. So we'll just take it when you're ready. When you're ready to give my, when you're ready for that, uh, cherry to be popped, I'll pop it. I, I guess. So anyways, <laughs> like, uh, that's, then that was the most unsexy thing that you've ever said. <laughs> that was intentional. Um, so, so now, you know, Charlie, is show he shows up to Jerry's house to do battle on his own and the house is like filled with fog and it looks super creepy and he feels like he's gonna have to do this you know go in on his own with his little shitty cross and then Peter Vincent rolls up and scare kind of scares him at first and he's like ready to do uh ready to battle a great vampire or something like that and he's got his badass you know prop box of all his weapons from the film shoot uh, from all his vampire movies he's done and uh, he's like, well, how are we going to handle? And he's like, I've got this for Billy Cole. And he's like, I use this on Orgy of the Damned. <laughs> and so um, they start to walk in the house and the and the door's creaking. And he's like, we should go around. Peter's like, we should go around the back. And then the door opens up and he's like, well, I guess we got to <laughs> go in through the front. And, J- and at this point, uh, Peter's like pissing his pants because he's so terrified but he keeps telling himself he's like i'm peter vincent the great vampire killer i'm peter vincent the great vampire killer like a mantra like i can do this i can yeah. do this it definitely had shades of like scooby-doo uh, you know at yes, some totally points you know like... yeah yeah it was great i love that and and at the same time uh while they're walking in jerry there's like a point of view shot from jerry's flying around as a bat um uh, and, and signaling like he knows they're there and they start to walk up the stairs and out comes Jerry. I love this where he's scraping the wood, the banister with his fingernail and it's curling as he's doing that. Like, yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Another awesome practical effect. Just showing you nonchalantly because the look on his face is just so nonchalant. Just how powerful he truly is, and you know how much of a formidable foe he actually is underneath that you know gorgeous exterior. <laughs> yeah, that was his gorgeous body. Oh, sound like um, George Takei. So Jerry, Jerry goes in front of these. Uh, I meant to say it earlier in the movie, but there's this beautiful stained glass window at the top of the stairs, and he's standing right in front of that. That comes into play later. But um, that's that's when Jerry utters the line, Welcome to Fright Night. 
for real. And I love that line. It's so great because you're like, oh, you're yeah. just going to kill them. Because he, he says it mockingly uh, uh, when he says, fright night and he's doing like his best Peter Vincent impression but then he was like for real I yes. oh dude that was oh so fucking good man Jerry yep. Dandridge so fucking awesome man and then Peter Peter's like oh I I got this I'm gonna handle this and he puts the cross in in Jerry's face and Jerry just starts laughing you know <laughs> really and Peter's like oh shit crosses don't work and he crushes it well he's, he's like you have to be- you have to believe he always reiterates you have have to have faith he keeps reiterating yeah. that because at the very end of the movie where Peter Vincent actually has faith yes. you have to see it on on uh, Chris uh, uh, Sar- uh, Sarandon's uh, like the actor he he does a good job of having Jerry show the growing belief inside of peter vincent now that because that's got to be hard to pull off like think about it on the script you know or whatever i don't know what it exactly says but it ha- that scene towards the end and we'll talk about it more then it's like yeah. like it, the, the cross starts working because peter vincent starts to believe how the fuck do you portray that on screen that's all internal yes. stuff you know yes. so they have to keep hammering home that you need to believe for it to work and this is another i mentioned earlier in the podcast two and a half hours ago that uh <laughs> that this was uh when he grabs this cross when jerry dandridge grabs this cross and it's it's clearly it's rubber you know but but it's still yeah. it's cool because it shows him crush it and it shows just his his power it's just it's so easy for him it's so this whole entire time he's just toying with you guys man like it's so easy for him to kill them at any point in time yeah i love i love that because yeah when he crushes it and says you have to have faith for this to work mr vincent or something like that and and yeah uh, but then but then charlie comes up and he's got faith because he's got the confidence now like because his girl's in trouble so he's gonna do everything he can once again to get that to get laid you know this is a this is this is now what he cares about he's like i gotta get my girlfriend that's the the magnet that's drawing me in See, can I just pause you for one second? <laughs> this whole entire movie, I would buy that, that he wanted – this whole movie is an allegory for him trying to get laid with, with Marcy Darcy. But the fact that she gave it up to him at the very beginning of the movie and he rejected her because he's a dumbass is what I just – nothing tracks for me on that at that point. On he's that a teenager. Level, I should say. He's a teenager. He's a dumbass. <laughs> he's a dumbass. I love it. I love it. Um so so yeah charlie's like take he's stepped up and he's about to kick some ass and 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 peter's freaking out or jerry's freaking out at this point and and then charlie leans back and makes his dumbass moment where he goes we got him and then billy cole comes out of nowhere and just knocks charlie over the banister wipes him out knocks him out cold and peter and and i love that because jerry just walks over to billy puts his arms behind him like that's my boy Yep. Dude, that that is my boy right there. Billy Cole, my boy. Peter runs off. He's like, you know, scampering and pissing his pants at this point. Like, ha, ha. And they've got, you know, big grins on their face. Like, we've got this. And from there, Peter Vincent runs off to Charlie's house and to to look for his mom. And he gets to the house and he's like, Mrs. Brewster, Mrs. Brewster. And he goes to pick up the phone and the phone's been disconnected. And, uh, but it's been he, disconnected from the inside. Like that's a yes. That's a, a telltale sign that something isn't right. You know, ha- right now. That's right. So he lets out this. You know, Mrs. 
Brewster. <laughs> and he runs upstairs. Uh, and and this, this is an important point. He doesn't know what she looks like. He's never met her. So he goes to the bedroom and sees this woman underneath the sheets. And she's got a Raggedy Ann wig hair <laughs> and uh out pops evil ed and looking as evil and maniacal as possible and it's a it's so great because he's like he looks so just like a crisp like a burnt piece of toast he's just so mangled <laughs> yeah and, he's, uh, he's not and, doing well and, and you almost wonder like <laughs> would he would he look this way had, you know, um, Peter Vincent not burned the cross into his forehead? Like, or does he does he need to feed, you know? Is, is Evil Ed just having a bad go at it as being a vampire? It seems to me he's just not having a good first run at being a vampire, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, see, that's where I thought the same thing. I thought he has not fed since he's been turned so he's now at the point where he's falling apart his body's falling apart that's what that's my theory um but he you know pulls out he's like oh uh apparently she's working nights but she left a note dinner is in the oven yeah. <laughs> you know lets out this funny weird wicked uh laugh and goes after Peter, Peter runs out of the bedroom and like stumbles into the end table, like collapses into the table, which falls apart. And then this is so badass. And I know you want to talk about this. Um, he, Ed does not come out as Ed. He comes out, a white wolf comes out from the bedroom. Yeah, that's right? really cool. I, I dug the hell out of that, that little twist or whatever. I, I thought that was really neat that he turned into a wolf and, and came out and, when when he so basically right now ed in wolf form goes to attack you know peter vincent he jumps at him you know and and peter vincent kind of like grabs whatever he can grab you know which just happens to be a broken leg (laughs) to that table and he kind of like you know defends himself by stabbing the wolf like sort of in the chest but also flinging him over the banister and it's such an awesome shot of the the fake wolf like hitting the chandelier and kind of like bouncing off of that and then when the wolf lands on the ground it's obviously a puppet but it's a great puppet because it's like it's like it's crawling away with its back legs broken almost like you know but it's impaled and it was it's making this like whimpering noise as it like walks or drags itself away and man it just it was so great everything about this little scene here is just fantastic and then and then obviously when it goes into you know peter vincent going downstairs you know leads into that him going downstairs to see evil ed's you know transformation which is one of the best reverse transformations i've ever seen yeah, I totally agree. Um, the whimpering that he's making as a dog is is so effective. It sounds, it's so um, unnerving because it sounds like a do- a dog dying. Right, and it's, which is it's which really would lure creepy. which would lure you into like you know a, a false sense of like you know compassion, but it's still just a it's still a vampire, yes. you know. And I like yeah. that. I love that. And when he go and when Peter goes down to, to check on him, he does have a moment uh, where, yeah, the reverse the reverse transformation. I agree with you. It is one of the coolest practical effect scenes I've ever seen. Where like the the hand is uh, the, the foot or the paw or whatever is turning back into human form, and the way the the pus and the ooze is is kind of reforming. It's so cool looking, and uh, he goes from 
being like a wolf, a cool looking kind of wolf man into uh, like a bat boy, really creepy looking. And then it goes into Ed looking very um, sad. And that's where Peter almost has sympathy to pull because Ed's like almost asking for help to pull the stake out. And Peter's about to, he's about to pull the stake out, but then he realizes what he's doing (laughs) and he doesn't. (laughs) And he just lets Ed die. And Ed has a cool death. You know, people, people have like knocked this scene saying, Oh, the X on the cross on his forehead is miss. uh, It's in the wrong spot. And like, who cares? It's a really effectively awesome scene. Uh, I love it. Oh, I didn't even notice that the cross on the forehead was in any wrong spot. I didn't even notice that. I liked when Ed was in human form that the cross like went away. Like, you know, he basically went back to to full human before he got turned into a vampire. So that scar, that scarification like went away. And I thought that was, was really neat, but I didn't even, I didn't notice that, that the X was on the wrong spot or anything, but overall I thought this scene was really cool. One of, one of my more favorite scenes in the movie. So where I go with the scene is, uh, to, to, uh, to world build as you always do so well, where I went with this is like, okay, Ed is now a, a, a dead naked child. Uh, teenage boy on the floor with no visible signs that he is a monster in any way. And if the cops show up and they find this naked dead boy on the ground, they're going to think he was murdered by Peter Vincent and lock him up. Yeah. It's it's very problematic for Peter Vincent. (laughs) All, all for all purposes, all um, signs that, any carnage has taken place or any sort of evidence of bodies are gone. Yeah. Right. And even at the end of the movie, when, you know, Jerry meets his demise, which we'll get to, he's gone. Like you don't see anything else. Um, so it's a very interesting, you know, concept. You could, that could, they could have gone down that road. And I was watching it and, and, you know, Peter Vincent leaves and I was like, Oh, is he just going to leave evil Ed's body for, for Mrs. Brewster to find, <laughs> you know, like how traumatic <laughs> yeah, and horrifying she's, she's going to come home and see little Ed, little Edward, um, and dead on the ground naked, you know? <laughs> yeah. Naked. So anyways, <laughs> that's a, that's a whole other uh, series we could create. No, but I mean, the, 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 you know, the fact that your mind went there, mine, mine did as well as I was watching it. And I put myself into Peter Vincent's, uh, you know, shoes and I was like, I mean, shit, I mean, already, you know, Brewster's mom's going to be coming in and dealing with all kinds of like just a fucked up house, let alone having to deal with like a naked dead child there on the ground. I would have picked Ed up and carried him over to the other house to just kind of, be like, you know what? We need to just keep all the craziness in under one roof, essentially. That's a yeah. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. But he let's, doesn't let's do take that. This little... so. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so well, there you go. What, what does <laughs> what does happen at this point is Charlie being carried into um, the room where Amy has been seduced and turned into a vampire, and it's revealed that she is now turning right because um, Charlie comes to. Uh, and Jerry leaves the a stake on the ground. And he's like, you're going to need this and then laughs and walks out <laughs> and he checks on Amy and she's like turning. She's in the process. She's like still in the chrysalis stage. Her eyes are still kind of 
not fully formed and all that stuff. Yeah, which is really cool. Like she's like sweating, her eyes are like black, the teeth are coming yeah. in. I, I like it when you show like uh, someone turning into a vampire. It's it's almost like um like a disease. It's 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 almost like you know they have some kind of infection that their body is trying to to fight, but obviously you know won't be able to. But I like that. Yeah. And then you cut back to Peter at the house who's still sitting in front of Ed. He's like, what have I just done? Kind of look on his face. This is, is this real life? And he pulls the stake out of Ed's body, which is cool because it's clearly just, you know, Stephen Jeffrey's holding on to the stake and he lets go of it. But it's it's a cool moment, just the body moving. Um, and then he heads back over to Jerry's house. I love this. He's like, oh, I'm just going to go next door and kill some vampires. <laughs> um, and he goes to Jerry's house and he's got his vampire hunter bag, which I love that bag. Again, I want to open it up. I want to see everything in there. Yeah, and I also like the shot of the house, of, of Jerry Dandridge's house, like just emitting all this smoke and, and like out of all the windows and coming off the roof, just this fog slash smoke is just barreling out of it. And I thought that was really like a neat little effect. And I never, like I, I guess as a director or whatever, I wouldn't have thought to do that, but I like that he did do that. And even, you know, even Peter Vincent takes takes a step back, you know, when he sees it, he's like, oh, f-, you know, like this house is hell. Like I'm about to walk into hell. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, it's funny. I just watched Karate Kid, the original, the other day uh, with my with Bodie, my son. And um, uh, and and there's a scene when he's when he's being chased by the Cobra Kai and he's trying to make it home to his apartment complex and he gets to the fence. And as he's running in the distance, you can see behind the tree a smoke machine shooting out the smoke. And it's so obvious. And I'm like, I never noticed that in the 50 (laughs) times I watched this movie. That being said, the 80s love their smoke machines. Uh, you can't see where the smoke machine was. I think it's cool. It, it it's just it's creating like this ultra haunted house. Yeah. It's the ultimate monster house. Because let's be honest, the house is it is a character in the movie, you know? Yeah. And so Peter goes back to, to back there and uh he goes to, and he finds Charlie and he finds oh they're they're locked in the door inside their room and and Char- uh, and Peter's like, oh, make some noise because I got to break the door down. And um, and he, and then so as he's doing that, Pete, uh, Billy and Billy Cole and, and Jerry are downstairs getting Amy's coffin ready, which is interesting. Are they putting dirt in the coffin or is it? Like they're they're putting something in the coffin. I th- I feel like they're putting dirt in the coffin. Yeah, I, I thought so too. But that that wasn't so much what I was tracking. Uh, what I liked about this scene was, you know, he was making all the noise. Uh, Brewster was upstairs, and then you know Roddy McDowell comes in, uh, and they don't notice like Jerry doesn't notice until he clearly, you know, obviously Brewster stops making noise, you know, and, and, uh, Peter, um, Jesus, Peter Vincent comes in and, you know, they start talking about, uh, Amy and that's when Jerry Dandridge like hears. Uh, and, and, and I think it's be, and when I saw it, I was like, Oh, it's cool. He's got good hearing. But then us talking about that scene prior where, where Cole, where Billy Cole was like, Oh no, he hears you. I, that's where I connected the pieces. I was like, Oh yeah, this is another thing of them showing that he has oh. this like fantastic hearing and, and they don't ever like sort of put it in your face, but it, it's not until it's not until Peter Vincent says something when he's standing next to Amy. That's when they cut to showing Jerry Dandridge look up, and that's when he knew. And I was like, it's because he heard Peter Vincent. That's what it was. And I was, and I only came to that because of our conversation earlier about uh, 
Billy Cole saying, no, he heard you. And that's where I was like, that's where the, the director was peppering in Jerry Dandridge's uh, uh, awesome hearing, basically. Dude, that that is... Okay, that is so awesome, and that makes me love this movie even more, and you hopefully liking it a little bit more. Uh, yes, it, it does. It does make but, me like it a little bit more. You, you, it does. It really does. It, you know, because, it, it, again, it, he's Tom Holland, knows, whether he knows this universe or not, he wants the audience to know this universe at the end of it. He wants us to be fully versed in what it what vampire lore is and yeah so he hears them and and that's when jerry realizes well i guess we gotta go uh you know we have we have a visitor he says and this is the point where peter vincent reveals that uh that amy can still be saved if they kill jerry dandridge before dawn because there's this idea that if you kill the head vampire uh, he will it will reverse the effects of all the other people that he's infected and but I do like the idea that there is a time limit like he's got to do it before dawn otherwise it's too late yeah and um, and I like the fact that Peter Vincent even said you know he's he's like um, I think he says like well all the other things have been true so far like even though they're both aware now yes. that it's like it's a movie like obviously we're basing everything that we know about vampires from movies but there is a nice little line where Peter Vincent says but everything else so far has been true so ergo this must be true as well basically uh which is yeah. he came to that conclusion that you know we he need we need to kill jerry dandridge you know before dawn to save amy so i like that i like that they made a little a little call callback sort of you know a little aware, like basically saying to the audience that yeah we're aware that that we're basing every all of this lore is basically based on horror movies themselves and even the characters are calling it out as such on the movie yeah i love that too i love that too and and at this point um peter vincent and charlie go looking they, they go ready to getting ready to hunt jerry and that's when billy cole has his has his final scene yeah. he comes out and uh peter vincent pulls his gun out and he tell he warns him he says stop and he keeps on going he goes i'll shoot and billy's like whatever do it <laughs> you know and he just kind of makes a motion like so and then he does he blasts him Right and in the head. I don't. I don't think Billy right Cole the- was like. I think Billy Cole, <laughs> the, the character, dude. thought he was going to just get shot in the chest. You know, <laughs> like I think he was even a little surprised that he got shot right in the brain. He he blasts him and then he falls down. Right. You know, Charlie puts the the cross up to Jerry, and Jerry's starting to freak out. And and Charlie's like, "We got him!" And then Jerry stops. I love this moment, and he just right, puts his hand over his face and he says, "Do you?" And I remember, I again, I rewound that movie, that scene about thirty times, trying to figure out what did he say, Zulu, Chulu, <laughs> like did he say a code to resurrect uh, Billy? Because he at that point, at that point, Billy is now resurrected from the dead with the brain shot, and he's coming back up the stairs, and that's when Peter unloads on him, and more smoke happens, and lifts up Peter like he's gonna body slam him. And Charlie, in the in in my favorite stake through the heart scene, takes this piece of wood and just shoves it in Billy's chest. And the sound effect of like the the stake piercing the flesh is such a like a it's such a great sound. And drops Peter on this giant staircase, and um, 
the, the cue the slime and sludge and sand yeah and that's all the goodness it, it's a really cool death scene i love the sand i love the slime i love the sludge i just didn't understand it i didn't understand yeah. what billy was and i know we said earlier he's he's a the renfield character i get that but in in Dracula Renfield's human. So I, I don't really, I really, you know, I, I think he is right. Um, I, I, I just yeah. don't understand what Billy is. Is he a revenant? And, and, and I guess if hmm. so, why does then the, uh, the stake work? Like, why is it a stake that, that kills him? And is he, you know, I, I guess it's weird because I'm starting to break, I'm trying to break all the Billy stuff down and I'm like, well, yeah, like, I know he's the henchman, but he can go out in daylight. He doesn't clearly need to, to feed um, on on people, and he's just as indestructible as Jerry Dandridge. Why isn't he in charge? <laughs> you know, I, I don't right? know. I mean, I, I mean, I get why he's not. I get that Jerry Dandridge is, is his boss and everything, but I don't know what Billy is, I guess. is like, what monster is he? Yeah, I and I guess I think I really would love—I want to— I'm going to track down that documentary and we will watch it at some point because I'm wondering if that question, I'm, that, I'm sure that question has to have been asked by super fans of this movie. And I'm sure it's been answered in some respect from Tom Holland. Um, but the mystery shall remain a mystery until it's revealed. But that, that gross breakdown of his body is so hilarious because he's like letting out this weird, it's, it's, you know, like the ADR, uh, effects, you know, he's screaming while you see the man, the, the body fo- melting and <laughs> we're like, we love our, we love our melting men, you know? So, uh, <laughs> of course so he died, right. He dies. And it's a great scene because the, all the bones fall on the ground and the skull rolls into the corner and like the, the mouth shuts. And it's like, that's it. He's done. And then Charlie goes and checks on Amy She's even worse. Uh, and then you see at the same time this happening, um, Peter's like, Charlie, something's happening. Or I guess, oh yeah, Charlie goes and runs off and then Peter's kind of checking on Amy and they're yelling back and forth to each other because Jerry's somewhere on the house. He's trying to make some noise. Yeah, you can hear him on the roof and he's he's up there on the roof, I think, right? And, yeah. and, and is, is this the scene where he's calling to Amy to basically yes. rise up, but she's still kind of fighting it, I think, right? And then and that's yeah. why he punches the side of the house because he's like, fuck, she's not you know, responding to me completely right now and he's he's getting frustrated um i like that i liked how she was still even though in in a few minutes you know when they get downstairs in the basement she's full you know vampire but i liked here how he was like gonna rise up and you know attack whatever he was command you yeah command you to awake and and she didn't and he got all pissed and like punched the the chimney or something like that and and that's when uh peter vincent knew he was outside right that's when he's like he's outside and then charlie goes running i'm gonna go outside but then he's right by the window essentially i think right the yeah (laughs) jerry dandrus flying over by the window i like that scene i think that's really cool yeah that's such a great moment because then amy does awake and and peter's trapped with her in the room and he pulls a cross on her oh shoot first of all he she reveals herself and she looks great yeah with the long hair right and yeah, and I was for the longest time I was convinced I'm like that's a stunt double. That's not that's not Amanda Bears because that looks nothing like her. Turns out it is. She's just got the great makeup. They yeah, did a great job with the makeup. 
Yeah, and and I I could tell that it was her, and I could you know they obviously put a wig on her, and I, she looked great. But yeah, they did everything under the sun to to make her much more sexual, and it, it worked. I was like, oh wow, she she looks amazing. And again, I get that's why she acted the way she did. I get that's why they earlier in the movie. I get that's why they dressed her up that same way and everything. I get all that. I understand it, and I just I just sometimes felt like her acting was a little too ham fisted. But I get that all of that was in service to how she looks now in service to the transition she was going to make when she became full full bosomed vampire <laughs> yeah yeah because she goes from this sweet naive innocent girl to this sultry sex pot and which again goes with the dracula character dracula is he's a sexual character you know and um it's funny because Peter pulls the cross on her and she goes immediately back into little Amy. You know, she's she's weak and and then and then um, Charlie's out there and he's like, you know, they're, they're they're yelling to each other back and forth. Peter's trying to get Charlie to come back in and Jerry crashes through the stained glass window over them. And that's when he's like full vampire now and Peter shows her the cross and she cowers and he like that's his signal to come out and help Charlie out. And then Dandridge, you know, is laughing and he lets out that line again at Peter. Like, um, you know, you have to have faith for that to work because it's now Peter versus uh, Jerry again. Right. And Peter's looking terrified, but Jerry, who's facing away from the outside window, doesn't see that the sun's coming up. And it's such a great moment because Peter is starting to realize we've got you. Yeah. And that's when he says, your time is up, and Mr. That, Dandridge. That is the moment I was referring to earlier when Jerry Dandridge, when he says, you got to have faith for that to work. But then when Peter Vincent starts to see the sun come up, he does start to have faith. And that's when you do see the cross starting to work on Jerry Dandridge. And the, what I love is the acting in that scene because Jerry Dandridge has the actor, uh, Chris, uh, Sarandon has to basically show the viewer what is going on inside of Roddy McDowell's head, inside of his character's yeah. head. So he has to play off of something that doesn't exist as an actor, right? He doesn't know what's going on in his head, but he has to play it like he does. I, I just think it's a great, great part. I liked, I, I really enjoyed seeing basically Peter Vincent have faith again. He he started to have faith again. It's granted, it's because he saw the sun come up, you're right? And it's like, oh, cool, <laughs> we got this. But that's what gave him like the faith in himself, the belief in that he can do it. And I like that scene. I, I like seeing on Roddy McDowell's face, like his change too. Like he, he starts to to get his balls, you know, it's uh, yeah. how, how Peter Vincent got his groove back, as we said earlier. So <laughs> it, this is, a, this is going to, that's going <laughs> to, this is a great scene. This is my favorite. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to subtitle this episode, how Peter Vincent got his groove back. So uh. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is one of my favorite scenes. Well, there's so, I have so many favorite scenes in this movie, but yes, I, I agree. It is one of my favorite because it's, it's such a great climactic scene. So the sun hits Jerry, uh, like a, almost like a laser beam and Jerry jumps and then morphs into 
the bat at that point and it's probably the only scene with like cgi slash animation in the movie and he transforms into this like man bat which is really creepy looking and he goes right after peter like i'm gonna get you and and peter he goes to bite him and peter blocks him with um with a bone from one of billy cole's bones (laughs) billy oh billy cole oh billy and um and he grabs and and you know, he's got those wing hands because he's a bat and he scratches Peter's face and he's going in for the bite. And then that's when Charlie comes over and he and he bites Charlie on the arm. And that for me was like, oh, shit, did he just did he just infect Charlie by biting him in the arm? Does it have to be the neck? I don't know. Um, but that happened. And Charlie and Peter, are while they're battling him, they f- put his face up towards the 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 sun and it burns his face as a bat and he and he takes off right and it's such a it's a funny moment to me because as he takes off to go into the cellar he goes he blasts past this statue that's on a podium and there's this weird sound effect that almost sounds like a cartoon like boop kind of thing <laughs> and it knocks the as as he knocks over the podium and the statue falls on the ground um I don't know. To me, it was kind of a funny, mo- like more humorous than scary in that moment when that thing happened. And Charlie's looking at his arm and he's like, ah, I'm OK. I'm OK. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You know, and they go after him, which is so great because it's like we got him. We could do this. And even though we're getting battled and fucked up right now, we can finish this thing. Yeah, they're galvanized. They into the cell. Like, yeah, yeah. They're, you know, yeah. They're all pumped up. Yeah, They're all pumped up and galvanized and they they go down the stairs into the cellar. And they're looking for a way to find the, the secret door that leads to Jerry's coffin. And while Peter's looking for the door, Amy comes down the stairs. Correction, hot as hell, Amy. Yeah, hot as hell, Amy. Uh, sexy, sexy see-through dress, Amy. <laughs> sexy Marcy Darcy. <laughs> oh, God. And so um, so she's like, you know, what's the matter, Charlie? Don't you want me anymore? And, and he's like, what? He's kind of mesmerized by her. But then he comes to his senses and he pulls a cross on her. And that's when she really cowers. And she's like, Charlie, you promised you never let anything happen to me. You promised. And it's such a great moment because he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But then you see her face and she's like full on maniacal, the nastiest looking vampire face next to evil ed that i've ever seen yeah and i loved it this this is my favorite part of the movie i love the way amy looks when she's in full vampire mode i love yeah. that massive massive it's almost like a snake mouth like how it kind of goes upwards at the top but it's it's the same face that's on the cover the movie cover uh in the smoke and when i was a kid even though I've I've I don't know when the first time I saw this I probably saw it when I was a kid at some point but it wasn't until I was older that I did watch it that cover for this movie used to scare the shit out of me because of that that like snake smile that she has and I love yes. it this is when to me this is when the movie is firing on all cylinders right here yeah it is such a great it's you don't need to, the the fact that this movie pretty much takes place in very small locations it's not very grand in scale you don't need a whole lot of grand scale for this because it's it's so claustrophobic being in the basement they're stuck down there and while while um she she turns on charlie and she's going full vampire on him and he's battling her 
Peter finds the entrance to Jerry's lair and finds his coffin and starts trying to open the coffin, which he does. He opens the coffin, sees Jerry in there, hammers a stake through his heart. And what's great about it is you see Jerry like trying, it looks like he's sleeping and the side of his face that was burned as a bat is still burned as a vampire. And it's just, it's cool. It's a great attention to detail. I love when filmmakers care about those things. Yes. You know, they could have just put him in regular makeup and just had, it been, would have been fine about that. But the attention to detail, which we've talked ad nauseum about in this episode is, is so well, it's so thoughtful and hell yeah. Like about freaking time, a movie from the eighties cared about, uh, you know, cared about shit like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. I I'm with you a hundred percent on that. I, I like the fact that I, I like the fact that, um, evil Ed, like when he died, that the, that the cross scar went away. I, I like yeah. that. Cause it was like everything that happened to him post being turned into a vampire does not apply to his, his, you know, human form anymore. And I liked that. Like you said, I liked the fact that Jerry Dandridge, the left side of his face got burned when he was in, you know, bat form. And now like when he's trying to transform, it's still burned. Now, granted, if he got his full night's sleep, it probably would have repaired and everything, but he's still like in mid combat, mid, mid transformation. And I always like when they do the vampire thing where, you know, he, he rises up out of his you know his his oh. coffin but of course like Strandon sells it he's he's awesome he's fantastic totally sells it and yeah so when charlie or when peter um i'm sorry i keep getting the names mixed up but it's so many names <laughs> uh, well, I, I keep <laughs> when, uh, I, I have a hard time like i always want to say jerry dandridge and i'm not used to saying sarandon without susan Strandon in front of it like it's you know what i'm saying i'm like have a hard time of even yeah. thinking of what his real name is and it doesn't sound right chris Strandon doesn't sound right to me <laughs> no but i'm sure i'm sure our fans are like uh, you guys do this all the time, so yeah, right. Like, deal, like when uh, <laughs> what was it? Class of nineteen eighty four. When we called, what was it? Uh, family ties, gr- growing pains. Family ties, growing pains, and then I kept calling on um the, the hardware episode, Dylan McDermott Mulroney or something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyways, <laughs> so yeah, when 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 Peter nails the stake through Jerry's heart, this is a great scene because he yeah he rises up. It's just, and it is clear that it is hydraulics, but it's still badass. And he pulls the stake out of his chest because he's such a badass. He's the king of the vampires, and he throws it on the ground. And he's like, you know, he doesn't say this, but he gives him this look like, is that your is that your best shot? Is that is that all you got, kid? So he jumps down, and Peter closes the coffin, and Jerry's pissed, you know, and and then he launches back into his whole laughing thing, like, <laughs> and around the same time, that's when uh, P- uh, Peter, sorry, that's when Charlie, who's battling Amy, knocks her over the head, not basically knocks her out with a lamp. Yeah, hits her over the head with the lamp, knocks her out, so now he can help Peter battle Jerry. So they go in uh, right as Jerry's about to go in for the hunt on Peter. Charlie runs up and pulls down one of the window shades. And this is a little confusing to me. Did he like pull the glass off the wall? 
was there a piece of paper over it? Because some of the windows are painted. You some of them are painted. Them. Some of them have stuff on top of them. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I think he pulled something off on that one because um, I'm, I'm just trying to think about the scene. But yeah, it's it, he pulled something down because then they start breaking them. Then they start throwing stuff, you know, to kind of uh, yes. ca- capture Jerry Dandridge in this in this like you know maze of of light. And I do realize that from dust till dawn totally like ripped off oh, yeah. fright night at, you know in their in the final scene where that's how they basically get rid of all the vampires they shoot the holes into the the windows um totally ripped off fright night totally and i, for, I like you know i, I like forgot about scene. that yeah and i and i like the scene because he's got a, he's got like no place to go as they're like breaking all these you know windows and you know the way the the way it's shot you can see because the basement is kind of smoky and dusty and everything so you can see where the light is going and it is like almost like like you said like laser beams and yep just like laser beams you know they hurt them if they touch them so i I think that's awesome and then i loved how the last one hits him and just blows him back against the wall and just like disintegrates him like a ray of laser from god's butthole i was gonna say before before you said that so eloquently uh i love that when they're pulling all the windows the coverings off and he's getting hit with all the light he lets out this like hey 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 come on like this almost like oh you know the kind of annoyed annoyed growl at them which i thought was hilarious but yeah (laughs) annihilated like light shot out of the lord's anus and so as he's blowing up and 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 falling apart uh amy's looks up and Charlie and Peter both jump on top of her and he's and but Jerry's yelling out Amy as he's falling apart like that's what this was all about all along was love all he wanted was to find the one he loved and it's it's such a it's a it's a relief and a sad moment too because you're relieved that the heroes quote unquote of the movie have survived and the villain you know he's he just was looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, I can never hear that song without thinking. I think it was the Eddie Murphy one when oh, when Buckley yeah. <laughs> looking, looking for love. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, dude, cut to it, that. It, it's such a great effect yeah. too with the death of Jerry Dandridge. Just the way he he melts and then explodes. It was very awesome. It was a really really cool vampire death scene. Yeah, it is. It's it's such a great kind of way uh he went out with a bang he went out in the best way possible to be destroyed and after the dust has settled literally and figuratively charlie realizes that amy's okay and it's a really sweet moment because charlie's so relieved that his girlfriend's okay and they hug each other and then they look over at peter and they hug each and all three of them hug each other and it's like we did it we got through this I survived. I liked how Charlie and Amy were hugging and and Peter Vincent was just kind of like standing there until Charlie kind of brought him in. And then I like that character moment. There's all these... There's all these sweet yeah. little character moments, whether it's, you know, the bouncer calling out to his best friend that he's known his entire life to help him. And before he gets his throat ripped out, like, you know, and then this, yeah. you know, Peter Vincent just looking for looking for love in all the wrong places, too. No, he Peter Vincent just, you know, he, he was a part <laughs> of this moment, too. And but, you know, he knew where his place was. But Charlie brought him in. And I thought that was sweet. I was like, that was that was a sweet little moment. I, I like that. I liked I liked all the character moments in this movie. Yeah, it's and and that 
tags on to the next scene where it's almost like it's it's a perfect bookend because it it opens up the same it ends the same way it opened up with a panning shot of the houses and then you go into Charlie's bedroom making out with Amy again like they did in, in the beginning and Fright Night's on and then the movie's the movie goes to commercial break uh with Peter coming on and that's when they start they stop making out and Peter's back on TV that's the big reveal and but he's done fighting vampires uh, he's given that up or something to that effect. And he winks at the camera and he says, right, Charlie. And he's, you know, talking about the, the next movie they're going to show is, you know, aliens from, from outer space invading the earth, the earth. And I forget what the name of the movie is. It's a real, real dog shit film. Um, but Charlie walks up to go turn the TV off. And as he does, he walks by Jerry's house, flicks the TV off and sees these two blinking lights. This is my favorite part of the movie, hands down. Sees the two blinking lights and gets really startled. And Amy says, Charlie, what's what's the matter, Charlie? And she looks at Amy and she's kind of got this look in her eye. And he goes, nah, nothing. And he jumps back in bed with her and starts making out. And then it cuts back to Jerry's house right at the end. And it slows down with this sweet music playing. And you hear Evil Ed's voice cackling laugh. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. And the red light eyes come back on at, in the room across the way in Jerry's house. And that's how it ends. It kicks into the theme song of Fright Night. And that's the movie. And you're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen next? And yeah. just like a classic Carpenter movie, it's like, end it on a somewhat sour note like no this isn't over yet yeah i like that i very much enjoyed that that ending i like the the two red eyes i i like i'm I'm a sucker for that i like when movies do that they give you this little like oh they're not totally safe like you think that they are but they're not and yeah a little wink and a nod type of thing and of course evil ed you know hearing him say you're so cool brewster that's that's the best part i i loved evil ed man so i've never seen uh, part two ever of of Fright Night, so I have no clue what it's like. So, so you and I both watched this short um, thing on YouTube, this little movie online seven minute segment says like twelve things or thirteen things you didn't know about Fright Night, and they it's actually a really cool thing to check out if you're a fan of this movie, even if even if you're just listening to this podcast and know about the movie for the first time. Highly recommend you check it out because it's got some great fun facts and not so fun facts that we'll reveal in a minute, I'm sure. But um, one of the facts was, yeah, Fright Night 2 did not do very well at all. It, it brought back Charlie and Peter. Um, that's because, and, and one of the reasons why, and it's about, it's about Jerry's sister. Uh, it fall, and she comes back for, for revenge. But no one else is in it. Um, I, I didn't ask Steven when I interviewed him uh, whether or not he wanted to participate, but I know there was interest in bringing his character back, but he's like, I died. What, what, why would you want to bring my character back? Um, but the, the rights were given, the rights were sold. A, a different person had the rights to the movie. So that altered the film dramatically. And so the tone, everything's different. Um, the guy, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, and who played a Wolfman in Monster Squad, uh, he is he plays a Wolfman in Fright Night Two as well. And you know what? I didn't dislike the movie. It's not that great. Um, it is what it is. 
I was disappointed because at this age, when I saw Fright Night, I wanted to make my own G.I. Joe figures look like Charlie and Peter, and I wanted an Ed figure, and I wanted to recreate Fright Night the movie. Uh, Why they still have... Todd McFarlane Toys has made every other horror character. Why haven't they made a Jerry Dandridge figure? I have no idea, but if they did, I would totally buy it day and date. Um, But part two was was like this idea of like, oh, this is going to be really cool. And it wasn't. Now Comics, which was a, it's a defunct comic brand from the 90s, did a four-issue series um, and then a follow-up to Fright Night. And then they had, I think they did maybe 10 more issues of Fright Night, the comic, where they continued the story. That is a perfect companion piece to this movie, um, they, I mean, they did that with like real Ghostbusters and yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I read comics as a kid. I still read comics now. Um, but I, I knew about now comics because they had the go- the real Ghostbusters license and early on before dark horse, they had, I believe the Terminator, uh, license was, was now as well. Uh, they did a lot of licensed stuff. Oh yeah. And that's right. I, I remember, I remember they had, uh, Fright Night, a uh, Fright Night. I actually have one issue of the Fright Night comic in one of my twenty long boxes in my mom's basement. <laughs> but I, I have one. I didn't really read it. Uh, I don't know why I even picked it up. But um, did it, did it negate part two? Did the comic book negate part two, or did it pick up after part two? Like, was part two canon in the comic, or did it pick up after just part one? I think I feel like it came out between part one and part two. Okay, that probably uh, made that, memory, I'm sure it did. Yeah, that makes sense. And, then, and yeah, because there's a great because they did an issue with Evil Ed on the cover. It's it's uh, an actual clip from the movie, and that was and I and it's a continuation of the Evil Ed character, which is really oh, cool. cool. I don't remember completely. I I want to jump on eBay now and buy every issue that I can of it because. That was definitely one I feel bad that I got rid of. But there was this idea, like it continued the storyline. Then they made part two. It bombed. Um, and then the rights were given to this guy with the last name Menendez. And <laughs> yes, and then Corey and I found know. out. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Corey, you want to tell the story? Yeah, so so yeah, so I think uh I don't know how he got the rights to it. I think he was a producer or something like that or an executive producer, but the Menendez uh uh held the rights to it. They were going to do Fright Night 2 until sadly he was, you know, murdered. Him and his wife were murdered by their two sons, the Menendez brothers. So yeah, the Menendez Lyle brothers, Eric, right? Yeah, so they didn't just kill their parents, they killed Fright Night 3 as well. I'm not I'm not laughing at that at all cuz it's horrible and it's tragic. Um, you know, on the other podcast, I do $2 late fee. I was bringing up Chernobyl and bringing up the Challenger explosion. And my co-host Dustin, he's like, you know, you, you make these things sound so like cheery at the, while being super horrible too. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. When I found out about that little tidbit of information that, that about the Menendez parents being murdered by their kids, it blew my mind. I was like, whoa, cause yeah, they were going to do part three. And obviously they never did. Well, and I think uh, Peter Vincent, I'm sorry, uh, Roddy McDowell was like, even though he didn't, the uh, like, even though part two sucked and no one really liked it, he still saw value in his character and he wanted to come back for part three. Um, yeah, he that, really liked it. Yeah, but never, never happened. He, yeah, he died, unfortunately. Um, and they made a 
the remake, which I think we agreed that it's it's not a bad remake. It's pretty decent in comparison to like The Fog, which is a piece of shit, and uh, the Halloween movies and whatever. Um, but and then they made a direct to Blu-ray or direct to DVD sequel, I guess, which was pretty bad. I think it's only a name. Um, but then Tom Holland got the rights back to Fright Night. And he's gearing up to make a Fright Night Part 3, allegedly, in the next year, I guess. He's yeah. going to start putting it together. So I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I absolutely love this movie. And I feel like I all your criticisms are valid and make total sense to me. Um, and I don't disagree with any of them. It doesn't change my opinion on this film having such a strong it's the precursor to Lost Boys. Everybody always says, Oh, the best vampire movie is Lost Boys. I'm not saying it's not. For me, this is my favorite movie because Jerry Dandridge is the coolest vampire in my opinion. Um it's got a great soundtrack and the supporting actors are uh you know, Peter and Ed are just and Billy are amazing. Um that's my thoughts. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it's a hard one for me to sort of <laughs> quantify because there's so much there's so much going against it uh with my viewing. One, my, you know, uh, um Amy, the the actor Amy, my my first experience with her is Marcy Darcy from Married with Children and she's a very particular kind of character and you're not supposed to really like her. So I spent, you know, a good solid 9 years of my life you know, feeling that way towards that actor. So and now I'm watching, you know, I'm watching the movie obviously takes place before that. And it's just hard for me to disassociate some things. Also, again, I was more of a Lost Boys kid growing up. I watched, I watched Lost Boys much more than I ever watched this. Um, I would watch probably The Howling more than I watched Lost Boys. So like you can see the hierarchy of what I sort of, you know, geared myself towards. And then just having a hard time disassociating the, the setting out of you know just it, it just felt so studio to me it just felt like a, a such a back lot and it's like all these things like I should not hold the movie itself accountable for but these are all the things that are basically going on in my head as I'm watching it and then so to, to top it all off I'm having this sort of this disconnect at the beginning with the two main the two main leads and my biggest takeaway from this movie is is that I liked everything outside of the main leads. And that's hard because those are your protagonists. <laughs> those are who you're supposed to be rooting for. And I'm rooting for Jerry Dandridge. I'm rooting for Billy Cole. You know, I'm rooting for Evil Ed. And surrounding, surrounding, you know, Brewster, uh, uh, Charlie, and Amy, surrounding them are just these, these collection of weird and awesome actors and performances that are just so batshit insane uh, it, whether it's evil ed's just insane just delivery of his lines to just cole uh billy cole's character is really weird when you think about it when you boil it down like let's take a let's make the renfield and turn him into this like this almost sitcom frat guy and it works you know you're like yeah, holy crap that works yeah. but then every time that charlie brewster's on screen i'm like fucking hate this guy like i and, and it's not the actor <laughs> But then again, at the exact same time, you have to understand, like, my experience with this particular actor is on Justified, he's a very, sh he's a smarmy character.
character. He's he's very schmarmy. He's very you you're not supposed to like him. Again, the two leads of this film, my only experience with them are in other roles that that they do a great job. I'm not saying the, anything wrong with the actors, but they are roles that you're not supposed to particularly like these characters. So now I'm having to just force myself, force all these. In my head, it's almost like forcing a bunch of circle pegs into square holes, just for me, you know? And, and I understand, too, that this is a very unique point of view that I have based on just my 41 years of experience. I cannot tell you if I had seen this movie as a kid, would this all be different for me? You know, I, I can't go back in time and, and do that. I can't take all of these experiences away and then try to watch it, you know, with fresh eyes. Um, I did that the best I could. I, I really, really did do that the best I could. And and what I walked away with was Jerry Dandridge is awesome. He's an awesome vampire character, and I wish um I wish I saw more of of Chris Sarandon as a kid. Like I wish uh, I you know enjoyed more of his movies. I I want to go back and and rewatch Child's Play just to see him in it because I'm like. It's kind of like uh, last episode with Tough Turf and, and uh, Kim Richards. Where, where where have you been my whole life, Jerry Dandridge? Like, I love that character so much. And I don't – I could watch a whole movie of just him and, and that's it. And he's fantastic. And I – I love him. That's he's the best part of the movie. Him and Billy Cole and their their friendship, their their never ending, undying friendship. Jerry Dandridge and Billy Cole. Though that's that's the friendship you want because like, yeah. And I'm guys. I'm just piecing this together in my head right now. Then you look at at Ed and you look at uh, Charlie and you're like, oh, well, they're friends, but. They're shitty friends, and mostly it's because of Charlie, but they're shitty friends. And then you look at Billy Cole and Larry, uh, geez, uh, Jerry Dandridge, and they're good friends, and it just reinforces the idea that Dandridge is the good guy here, <laughs> you know? Like, well, it's it's insane to me. This movie is it's bonkers. This movie's batshit crazy, and I want to love it. That's The truth of the matter is, the God-honest truth is, every fiber in my being wants to love Fright Night. It wants to. I love Billy Cole. I love Dandridge. I don't care if I ever see this movie again, man. It, and that's what sucks because I know it's important <laughs> oh to you. Oh, my God. I know. And it, I know it's important to you. And, and and that sucks because I want to enjoy it. I really, really wanted well, to enjoy it. I would I would argue that you do actually enjoy this movie. And if you um, it, it, you just flip the characters around a little bit, you flip the uh, – you flip the, the – the, who the hero and the villain are, and then suddenly this becomes a much more enjoyable film for you. So uh, <laughs> I think that's what my I, my mind did that just to just to process everything. It was like you know what something doesn't make sense here. Let me let's flip this and see if it makes more sense. And it did to me. It did. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I think I think that's totally fine and fair. Um, I I you know Jer, uh, Chris Sarandon had said that he had hoped that this movie would uh, kind of help show his leading leading man status as an actor, I definitely think it does. It's a shame that he didn't get more roles that played upon his kind of uh, charisma and uh, cool that he exhibits in this movie because he is charismatic to the highest degree and cool to the highest degree. You know, when I saw him in princess bride as this like sniveling little bitch of a, of a prince uh, he was so annoying and I'm like, wait, but that's Jerry Dandridge. And again, this goes back to how you feel seeing these characters after knowing them a certain way 
the opposite happened to me. I saw them first as these people and then I saw them in those other roles and it just didn't connect to me. That That's nothing against the actor uh, or the character they played. I feel it speaks more to this movie specifically for me where I'm like, man, this is exactly the right actor for the right role. Like I can't envision anybody else. Uh, Charlie Sheen was allegedly uh, considered for the role of Charlie Brewster, but he was too good looking. And so makes me wonder if this idea that Charlie was this like annoying kind of sniveling guy, that was maybe intentional on Tom Holland's part to make him seem that way. Because if he cast Charlie Sheen, you might have a different feeling. Charlie Sheen was making the Wraith in 1986. So you think about 86 looking Charlie. Yeah, I think people might look at him and, and have more sympathy for him as a character. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have less because William Ragsdale looked a little more kind of average. That's nothing against his looks. It's just it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, Chris Sarandon in my opinion, should have been a bigger leading man. Who knows? We don't know the backstories of any of these people, you know, other than them knowing the story. Um, he made Child's Play. He was the police cap or uh, an investigator detective in that. He, he was really cool in that, but not as cool as he was in this. Like something was off. He did a movie called The Resurrected, which is a based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Uh, where it's also called The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. That's the story it's based on, where he plays this kind of recluse uh, villain, and he has moments in that where you're like, oh, wait, there's a little bit of Jerry Dandridge in there, but it doesn't go very far. It's not the greatest movie, but it's worth checking out if you're a fan of H.P. Lovecraft. At the end of the day, though, you, I think, love this movie than you're, more than you, than you know you do. And... Um, I will go down in the it will go down the annals of history as me loving this film up and down through and through. <laughs> well, I think it helps that we both love the same thing. We both love Jerry Dandridge, and I think that you have a lot of nostalgia that you can lean back on, uh, you know, for this film that I I just don't have. Um, so yes, it, it, yeah, I think who knows what would have happened had I seen this when I was, you know, the age you saw it and it was, and it affected me that way. So I don't know. Um, but I'm glad we talked about it. I mean, I never would have put this much thought into Fright Night and I'm glad that, that we did. And, and also at the same time, I'm glad, you know, I don't just love blanketly love everything, you know? (laughs) Yeah, me too. No, me too. And like I said before, and I'll say it again, Everything you made, like every criticism, I didn't disagree with, and it didn't change the way I feel about the movie, but I, you made really valid points, and it made sense to me. It was like things I didn't consider before, which I do consider now, but what doesn't change is my love of this movie, and let's be honest, this would not have come about if we had not had the opportunity to interview Stephen Jeffries uh, for the Patreon-exclusive-only episode where he he didn't speak a whole lot about Fright Night, but what he did touch upon was really relevant. Um, you know, and and through his interview came this idea that well, we should do one of his movies, Fright Night being the top of the list. Um, and thank God for that because that interview I think is really damn good, and I think people are going to enjoy it. And if you haven't signed up for it, you definitely should. 
Uh, I understand it's $5 a month, but that's also the cost of a cup of coffee from Starbucks. So if you can go without one day of a Starbucks coffee, then sign up for Patreon and actually help support uh, young up-and-coming creators versus uh, a company that, you know, d- doesn't necessarily need your money. <laughs> Starbucks. You mean Starbucks, right? I mean, I mean Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> us, us, us being the up-and-coming yes. artists. Oh, yes. No, I, I get it. Yeah. No, and, and yeah, I, I'm glad we did it, too, because I think we would have... I think we would have pushed this off because it's such a, a big movie for you. We had toyed around with the idea of doing like a feature length commentary or something like that, uh, you know, doing something special for this. But truthfully, man, nothing's more special than actually getting an interview with Stephen Jeffries. Like that's freaking cool. And my hat's off to you for, for landing that one, man. That's, that's all you. So yeah, guys, keep an eye out on the Patreon. Um, it's we're going to have more interviews. We've already have stuff lined up. We don't want to call it now, obviously, you know, uh, but we do have more and hopefully it'll be pretty much once a month. You know, there might be like once every five weeks or something, but we're trying to make it like once a month, we'll have a, a new interview up there. So it'll definitely be worth, you know, the, the price of admission uh, and everything. So we really appreciate you guys supporting us. That's for damn sure. But um, all right, Zach, my man, this was a this was a long one. This was another epic long <laughs> one. I I don't know if we just keep getting longer and longer, but uh, where uh, where buddy, where can we find you online? Social media, podcasts, all that kind of good stuff. Oh yes, you can find me on Instagram at Zach Z A K Schaefer S H A F F E R. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Zach Schaefer V O. And I'm also on the podcast $2 Late Fee with Dustin Rubin. You can find us on Instagram uh, at $2, T-W-O, dollar late fee, and $2LateFee.com. Check us out. Give us a listen. But, uh, Corey, Corey, where can we find you? Yeah, man. I'm most active on Instagram at Corey Nation. And you can find me, as far as podcasts go, obviously you can find me on Podcasting After Dark. You can also find me with my buddy Adam on our weekly Seinfeld podcast called Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. And you can hear me uh, occasionally on the Blast From Our Past podcast. I'm I'm on a few episodes there as a, as a guest host, I guess you could say. And uh, yeah, that's, that's our, our little network is growing with Friday Five podcast is uh, the new addition to our uh, blast from our past podcast network so it's, it's great guys we're growing you can find all of those shows including two dollar late fee you can find everything on po- um, apple podcasts aka itunes you know they're switching over to to being called apple Podcasts now and you can find spotify podbean stitcher the whole all the usual big time podcatchers you can find all of our podcasts on all of those and if you guys, we say it all the time, but it, it you have no idea how much it helps. But if you could rate and review us uh, five stars, preferably, um, if you could do that for us, for Podcast After Dark, if you do that for any of the other podcasts, $2 Late Fee, Cartwright, all of them could really use the the love, the, <laughs> the review love, because that is how we get new listeners, essentially. So And word of mouth. So if you don't want to take the time to leave a review, then please just share us with your friends. Be like, hey. I got a really cool podcast you might want to check out. Check out this thing called Podcast After Dark. Really neat. So, yeah, anything helps, and we appreciate all the love that you guys give us. Yeah, thank you so much for everything. But until next week, an apple a day keeps a vampire away. (laughs) Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. I can't stand it.
Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.